0: Hey, it's Canzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more, and leave us some feedback.
1: Away we go.
2: Initialize sequence.
1: Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Canzano's Baldface Truth. B F F T from the Pac West Center in downtown Portland. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
0: I don't get it. I don't get the outrage. I don't get the uh, criticism. I don't get all of the uh, hand-wringing going on over what the Colts have done with their head coach. A lot of people... Uh, Confused when Jeff Saturday, former Pro Bowl center with the Colts, Super Bowl winner, was named the interim coach. Never been more than a high school coach. I had a couple people today reach out to me and say, what is this, Ted Lasso? Could be. Gotta believe. The Colts have replaced their head coach with a former NFL player. It's just not a player that anybody expected. No coaching experience at the collegiate level. No coaching experience at the professional level. He most recently coached high school football in Georgia. But that's not why the Indianapolis Colts hired Jeff Saturday. They hired him because they trust him. The Ursay family trusts the guy. He was there when Peyton Manning was the quarterback. Center, signal caller, bond. Four Pro Bowls. Four All-Pro selections, two Super Bowls. He won one. He's in the ring of honor. He's beloved in Indianapolis. Uh, they don't have a statue of him up outside the stadium. Uh, that is a Peyton Manning outside the stadium. But Saturday will launch his NFL coaching career uh, in uh, what will be the midseason point, essentially, for the Colts' season. They're 3-5-1. and one. What's the worst that could happen is what I keep thinking. But I understand... You know, you bench your quarterback, Matt Ryan, you fire the offensive coordinator, Marcus Brady, you terminate the head coach, Frank Reich, and then what do you do if you're the Colts? You could go out and you could hire an interim coach, I guess, or you could just hand the keys to somebody you trust. And that's what the Colts did. Jim Irsay, he's pledged that this organization will correct the mistakes. i got to be honest with you. I hear most of the hand-wringing and most of the bellyaching coming from sort of the establishment of the NFL and the media mouthpieces that will crow for the establishment. I am curious to see what Saturday does. Will it generate goodwill from the fans? They know him. They love him. They, he was the center. He was literally at the center of their success. Will it, uh, will it generate some goodwill? Will we find out that maybe the job of NFL head coach isn't as important as the players. Will he do better than 3-5-and-1? Will he match 3-5-and-1? You tell me. Does it matter? I mean, a lot of times we have had these discussions over the years. It's great sports radio discussion. In what sport does the head coach matter most? Does the head coach or the manager in baseball matter more than the manager in soccer? Does it matter more than the head coach in a NFL setting? How about in the NBA? Coaches matter more in the NBA or more in college football, more in the NBA, more in the NFL, more in Major League Baseball or the NBA. You tell me. 503-417-7575, what's your theory? When I throw that question out, where does your mind go? Because I'm curious to see whether the hiring of Saturday, a guy who's coached some high school football, could potentially open the doors for some other less qualified coaches to rise through the ranks. Let's, let's not be arrogant here. Dan Lanning, the head coach at Oregon, had no previous head coaching experience except for coaching a third-grade team. He talked about that at his introductory news conference. Remember, when Lanning was hired, all the questions were about, like, are they really handing the keys to a guy who's never done it before? He's never been a head coach. But Dan Lanning had been a college assistant coach and a coordinator in name. And so people said, well, you know, at least uh, we know what we're getting. We know that we're getting a guy who's been around Kirby Smart, and been around Georgia. And Dan Lanning, uh, you know, he's been there. He has at least been there for a team that's been there. And this Jeff Saturday thing maybe is a little different. But I'm curious to see, like, if he has big-time success in Indianapolis, does it open the door for non-traditional coaching hires. Think about Chip Kelly, came to the University of Oregon from New Hampshire. I can remember asking Chip Kelly as he was game planning for a Rose Bowl against Ohio State, you know, is how is this different than when you were at New Hampshire? And he said, well, is no different than game planning for Delaware. Game planning is game planning. I think it's really interesting to kind of look at what happens with this now it may be much ado about nothing maybe saturday just comes in and he's very mediocre and we all kind of forget about it maybe he implodes and we suddenly believe that hey look uh if you are uh if you were uh, somebody who's never done this before you would be in way over your head in an nfl locker room but this is a guy who's been in an nfl locker room he's been at the center of success and i i totally think the reason why the indianapolis colts are handing the keys to saturday has nothing to do with the fact where is he competent is he qualified, any of that stuff. I think it has to do with 100% of, you know, the idea that that uh, he's a guy they trust. That's what they're looking for right now. They don't trust the quarterback. They benched him. They don't trust the play caller. They benched him. So what are they going to do? So Jim Irsay turned to somebody, he goes, you know what? I trust that guy. I'll put him in charge. And it has the establishment up in arms, like, Assistant coaches around the league snickering, talking to reporters. You hear all the criticism that's coming from places like the Jim Rome show. Rome's all ticked off about it, saying, oh, this is ridiculous. It's embarrassment. This guy was giving hot takes on the radio, and now he's suddenly uh, going to uh, be the head coach of an NFL team. I'm actually really interested in seeing how this goes from the experimental side of this and the sociology experiment that we're seeing here. It is Probably more ambitious than Chip Kelly suddenly becoming the head coach at Oregon. Game planning now for Power Five Conference opponents versus game planning for Delaware. And certainly it's different than maybe Dan Lanning coming in at Oregon. And, uh, you know, people asking him, you know, I remember at the introductory news conference, hey, coach, how do you know you're ready to be a head coach?
3: You know, I think ultimately, John, I always – I still talk about quality of experience and I think that anybody you know that's had the opportunity I've worn every hat you know in a a college program from being a graduate assistant a quality control guy I've worked in the recruiting department I've coached a lot of different positions on each side of the ball and then every step for me along the way I kind of prepared myself as if I was the the next ring up you know if when I was a graduate assistant I was preparing to be a full-time coach when I was a full-time coach I was preparing to be a coordinator and um i've just kind of always taken that approach and as a coordinator i was preparing to be a head coach and i wasn't in a sprint to become one um i was in a sprint to become you know one at the right spot and this just the stars align um i feel really confident based on the blueprint and the places i've been that it works and i know we'll put our twist on it we'll do things differently here because we have to be us but uh i'm excited to see where it goes
0: Look, I'm excited to see where it goes, too, as Oregon is now sitting at 8-1 and one with Dan Lanning as the coach. We'll get to Dan Lanning in a moment. But I'm also interested to see what happens with Jeff Saturday and the Colts. Uh, Steven, what do you think happens with the Colts? Do they implode? Do they faceplant? Or do we learn something about maybe the role of a head coach on an NFL team?
4: Um, I think that they implode, but I think it's more of a roster issue, not necessarily a coach issue. Um, you know, I just don't think the Colts are very good. And so, uh, you know, I understand why Jim Irsay is putting a guy like Jeff Saturday in his position because he trusts him. Like you said, he trusts him. But my thing against John, is what he's not qualified at all to be a head coach, and there's a lot of assistant coaches and coordinators that have worked their entire lives to get to this point, and now it's just the good old boy network where Jim Irsay is just giving it to his buddy. And that's the one problem I have. And so for that reason, like, I just don't. I don't think that the players are necessarily going to respond to Jeff Saturday, uh, and you know necessarily get up and play harder for him or anything. So I think it's going to implode, but it's more of the roster for that reason.
0: Uh, but or do they do worse than three, five, and one for the rest of the way? About the same, uh, I, better? What what happens yeah, here? to I The Colts?
4: I don't think better, but you know I think about three, five, and one is about about right, like right around there. I don't think the coaching really mattered too much uh, in Indianapolis.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm curious to see what happens. I'm kind of looking at their schedule now to. You know, I'm more interested. In, I'm more interested in the Colts than I have been at any other point. point I, I of the will season. say,
4: I was talking to Judah about it. They play the Raiders on Sunday in Vegas, and I said, "Well, we're yeah. betting. We're betting on the Colts, right? Like everyone, <laughs> everyone's going to think the Colts have no chance. Like I'm betting on the Colts, but like I just think it's you know it's a terrible situation, and you do feel bad. I feel bad for the coordinators. That have like worked their entire lives for this, and then all of a sudden, you know, Ursa just gives it to his buddy.
0: But it basically suggests that Ursay does not trust the coordinators. Like he already took the play calling away from the offensive coordinator. And by the way, it's not a cakewalk for the Colts on the rest of the way. I mean, after this weekend with the Raiders, they have the Eagles at home. They play the Cowboys on December fourth. They they go to Minnesota on the eighteenth. They play the Chargers on the twenty sixth. They got the Giants on January one. Um, they finished with the Texans, but. Uh, I think the over-under for them is probably three wins in these uh, next eight games. So three and five would probably be about as good as they can go. I want to hear from you. 503-417-7575. What does coaching mean? If you're going to do this in any sport, I kind of think like, you know, there are some sports that run a little bit on autopilot. I think in the NBA, there's a lot of preparation, there's a lot of scouting. Uh, But then it becomes about substitutions. There's a whole bunch of substitutions. I think in Major League Baseball, you could probably get away, if you had a good starting pitcher, you could probably get away with a fan being able to manage a game without a major hiccup. But it is the course of 162 games where we look at Dusty Baker and we go, hey, Dusty's worth every penny because he's managing the locker room. He's managing the course of a season. What about the NFL? What about college football? Where do you need a head coach most? Dre in Portland weighing in. Dre, welcome back, man.
5: Dre, I hope he doesn't lose a game. (laughs) I really do. Just to stick it to those dudes that said he couldn't do it. Yeah. Just to stick it to you guys that said, oh, he needs to do this. He doesn't know how to do that. How is he going to do I hope he doesn't lose a game. Of course, until they play the 49ers. But I hope he does not lose a game just to see what happens. I read something recently on the San Francisco Giants where I saw that they had like base coaches or people in the organization that they actually dress up and are sitting in the dugout. They have no baseball experience. Sign me up, man! Sign me up. <laughs> I like it. I'm rooting for him too. I hope he goes. I hope he wins four games.
0: He wins four plus games. Suddenly the institution or the establishment is challenged on that front. But I, I look. I try to put myself in the shoes of Jim Ursay. They're three, five, and one. They're not making the playoffs. He knows that. So what does he want from here on out? He wants someone he can trust. He wants someone that he can whisper into his ear and go, hey, I want to see this guy play, or what do you think of that guy? Because he's making decisions for this roster that are long-term decisions that will be made in the offseason, and I think he needs that intel, and he needs someone he trusts, and apparently he trusts Jeff Saturday, to whisper back to him, hey, I really like this guy, this guy, this guy, but you gotta get rid of this other guy. He's a problem in your locker room. Judah Newby, what do you think? Does Saturday have any measure of success as a head coach in interim role in the NFL?
6: Probably not, but I, I think this is only for the rest of this season. You know, I don't think it 100%. it goes into twenty twenty three. So to me it's like why overreact, you know? <laughs> like it's the Colts, a non playoff team. He is a longtime Indianapolis Colt tied into that community, so it it might not make sense on the face of it, but if you're Jim Mercer, you're not going to the playoffs. If we lose games, we're increasing our draft position. We're going to need a quarterback anyway instead of this turnstile of, you know, semi-washed-up guys that we've been bringing in every year. And I think it's a culture builder, and that's the one area of NFL head coaching that can get overlooked, I think, is... Is the culture building aspect, but that's a real aspect of it. and I think Jeff brings that. I'm, I'm kind of interested, like you know, because
0: if you're Jim Ursay, you're putting Saturday in that role. You, I mean, he's he's essentially going to be a mole for for ownership, and I wonder how players will react to that, knowing that he's you know he's Ursay's guy in the locker room. I kind of think it will bring out the best in some and the worst in others. But you kind of want to know that if you're the Colts and you're going into off season, so your goal here isn't and i agree with you it's so it's it's this isn't like an eight game solution and while you figure out who you want your head coach to be long term but this is not that different you know remember the blazers appointed caleb canales as the interim coach after the firing i think it was kevin pritchard uh, you know had served a little bit as the interim coach and then became the gm and then later we had caleb canales uh you know serving as the interim coach in the wake of i think nate mcmillan I think it gave an opportunity for the Blazers front office to kind of see what they had in the locker room. I didn't think it was dumb.
4: Do you think the fact that he hasn't coached in the NFL and you know he ha- hasn't played with these players that are in the NFL now, like, do you, are the players going to respect it? Are the players going to respect him that he hasn't paid any of his dues, quote unquote, because he hasn't coached in the NFL?
0: I don't know. And I, you know, like on one hand, I kind of think the players will go, "Hey, there's a path for me to get, be a head coach." Like, you know, it is a little bit Ted Lasso-like. Like, I... And I'm fascinated to see not just the players and how they react, but how does the rest of this coaching staff and with the Colts react. And I don't get the outrage. Like, I've been here all day long. I've been hearing Jim Rome. He's upset about it. People calling into Dan Patrick. The national media members who cover the NFL mocking it and laughing at it. Like, what are they supposed to do? Just do what every other team does? Like, I don't blame Jim Irsay from going, you know, I'm going to put my guy in there. I trust my guy. I'm going to find out what this team is about. You know, yeah. If you're trying to get back and you know squeeze your way to 500 or better and make the playoffs, this is probably the wrong
4: hire. But if your view is long term, I think this is like undercover boss. Well, and we've seen this before in other sports. Baseball does the same thing where they've hired people straight from the booth. Right? Aaron Boone went to the Yankees. Gabe Uh, Kapler. Gabe Kapler. Same thing in basketball. Steve Kerr goes to the Warriors. Mark Jackson goes to the Warriors. We've also seen it be a failure. Derek Fisher to the Knicks. But at the same time, it's just never happened in football. So I think that's why it's so shocking is I think we all assume that because it's football, there's a lot more X's and O's that goes into it, a lot more buy-in from the coach that you need from the players. So I don't know. It'll be an interesting experiment for sure. I
0: remember when Gabe Kapler went to Fox Sports 1, and he was on Fox Sports Live. It was like the summer of 2013 and 14. And he was doing all this advanced statistics and sabermetric stuff and he was, you know, talking a lot about the inside inner workings of baseball and numbers, and you know, it was all about data. Um, and it was interesting because FS1 invited me to come be on one of their shows, and Kapler and Roddick, Andy Roddick, were the other two people on a panel. They brought me in, and I got a chance to talk to those guys off air. And Kepler was just geeking out on numbers, and I got to be honest with you, I kind of didn't like the guy in talking with him. He was kind of abrasive. He was a little bit of a know-it-all. He was throwing out numbers. We were talking at the time about Tom Brady and LeBron, and you know how the organizations sort of view them as players. And he was looking at the numbers, and I was saying you got to look at more than numbers. He didn't like that, but it it was interesting to me that very quickly after that. Like, within a few months, he ends up with the Dodgers as director of player development. And then after that, he's managing the Phillies, then he's managing the Giants. And I'm like, you know, why is it that that's okay in baseball? But here we are with a Jeff Saturday thing, and it's like people don't understand what Jim Ursay is trying to do here. He's not trying to get to the playoffs. He wants to know what he has in the locker room, and he wants to put somebody he trusts in charge. Josh is in Vancouver. Go ahead, Josh
5: hey John hey listen man I, I really love the topic today and I and quite honestly I love your perspective on this uh, it's interesting because when you ask the question of is Jeff Saturday going to be um, successful is he going to be respected by the uh, the players based on the fact that you know what Jim what it's most likely that Jim Ursay is trying to achieve here uh, I think the answer to the first question is is he going to be successful the answer is yes because Success, in this case, is not defined as winning games. Mm. It's defined on helping figure out how, what the path forward to the future is going to look like. And, I mean, with them being 3-5-1, let's face it, the worse they are this year, the better the draft pick pick is and the draft capital they're going to have that's so, a great point literally a, a win-win regardless so defining success for him has everything to do with figuring out what you have on that roster and then the draft capital that you're going to have going into the off season yeah. the next part of that is is will the players respect him listen if this was a player that had that was a if, or if this was an individual that was a previous player that didn't have um, a successful NFL career and wasn't widely respected as a player and wasn't wasn't somebody that, that people outside of the sport that had a lot of respect for viewed like if that was who we were talking about, that would be one thing. but that wasn't who Jeff Saturday was. He was widely respected as a player. He had a magnificent career. And so I think players are going to appreciate and respect that because he can see what's happening on that team. As a player, as somebody helping, trying to establish a new path moving forward. So, John, if I could have, if I could have one more second for a shameless plug, I just want to wish my my daughters uh, a, a good luck tonight. State playoff start for Mountain View High School. Uh, up in the Vancouver area, their girls' soccer teams made the playoffs. And if anybody super bored wants to come out to McKenzie Stadium for a, a 6 p.m. girls' soccer team who's playing some really good soccer right now, getting ready to start a playoff run, McKenzie, where is that tonight at 6 p.m.? There Great you go. On. Thanks, buddy. All right.
0: Dude, I'll tell you what I tell my 6-year-old in soccer. I said put the biscuit in the basket, score goals, and have fun. All right. Here's the thing. I didn't even think about the draft pick. But, yeah, that's a nice consolation. If this does faceplant, uh, you, you, the Colts are not not totally walking away with nothing here. All right, leave it here. we got Punch It Audio coming up. Jack Coletto, the Swiss Army Knife at Oregon State, will be with us. You'll hear from Rich Brooks. He'll tell stories. I've got good ones from Rich Brooks plus Bruce Barnum on today's show. Leave it here. <laughs>
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game.
0: We got Jack Coletto coming up, uh, bottom of the hour. Uh, I'm going to move Punch and Audio back. You you probably knew I was going to do that, Stephen, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I uh, as much as I want to do it, I don't. I don't think it does service to it to have it cut and be abbreviated. So I'm going to move it back. Yeah, we uh, we well,
4: can't. We can't push Coletto back. We can him. No, we got
0: to no, yeah. we gotta have him on time. We need a hey, jackhammer. Can I ask Judah the question? Judah, I wanted to ask you a question yesterday, and you were nowhere to be found. But it, this is an important question. Are you ready for it?
6: I am ready for it.
0: Okay. Are the Seahawks any good? Hell yeah. All right. I mean, what's going on? Like, don't like. You're, a, you're the biggest fan of the Seahawks that I know. What is happening? Because this has to exceed your wildest well, expectation, what, what is going on right now. Are they good? Good for now? Uh, are they a contender? How do you, where do you put the Seahawks?
6: They are good. I am shocked. This is the most fun I've had watching Seahawks football uh, since 2013, 2014. And I had them winning five games before the year, and they've already won six. I am shocked that Geno Smith is a not just a good quarterback, but a very good quarterback this year. And it also helps that their entire draft class basically hit right off jump. You know, left tackle, ninth overall, that's very good. He he owned Kayvon Thibodeau a couple weeks ago. He's, he's been so good this year, Charles Cross. A right tackle out of Wazoo in the third round that's been excellent. <laughs> a fifth-round corner out of UT San Antonio. Who is like the best corner in football outside of Sauce Gardner and Tariq Wollin? I mean, I could go on, obviously. But yeah, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm stunned. But if you're asking me my analysis of them right now in this moment, I think they beat Tom Brady Sunday in Munich. Then it's a bye week, 7-3. and three. I think uh, there is value on the Seahawks winning the NFC West this year over the Forty ers We'll have to see
0: that. Uh, I know when Cross was drafted out of Mississippi State, I texted Mike Leach immediately and said, "How good is the kid?" And he swore by him. He said, "Great feet, great person." He's like, "They got a player." Uh, interesting to watch. You know, you know, we have often we have seen other draft halls like this. Herschel Walker and the Cowboys come to mind uh, with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, we have seen halls like this turn into much, much more. This isn't over yet as the Seahawks have a couple of picks that will linger now in the next couple of years and it'll be interesting to see if the Denver Broncos get anything out of Russell Wilson. Coming up, uh, Jack Coletto. He is Oregon State's Swiss Army Knife. I'm going to ask him, did he fall down? Did he slip? What happened on 4th and 1? And where are their minds as they enter a home game against Cal this week? Oregon State trying to get it back on track. Jack Coletto next.
1: Back to the Bald-Faced Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Did
0: you know that uh, Jack Coletta was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin? Did you know uh, that he uh, enjoys boating in his spare time? It's true. Bringing him on now. Running back, linebacker, Oregon State, Jack Coletto joining us. Uh, are you a Green Bay Packers fan?
7: Um,
8: No, not really. It's so funny. I don't really have a particular favorite NFL team, although I don't mind the Packers.
0: How is that possible that a football player, you don't have a team you grew up watching, or what, what's going on there?
8: I I followed players more than I did teams, I guess. But I mean, my favorite player growing up was probably Tom Brady. So
0: yeah, is that a generational thing? I kind of wonder about your generation because you kind of grew up on fantasy football instead of teams. Do you have is that? Do you think that changed how your generation rooted?
8: I mean, I never even I don't. I mean, I am kind of old, but young <laughs> enough to understand yeah. fantasy football. Uh, we never really did fantasy football I us growing up. Nothing. I don't no. know coming okay. out.
0: Uh, how did you find boating? Because that's in your bio, uh, like in your in the media guide. Like, tell me about you and boating. What's the relationship there?
8: Well, we to be honest, probably need to change it. I mean, everyone loves boating. I like boating, but <laughs> if I were to say more of like my actual what I enjoy doing off the field would probably be revolve around food, cooking, and eating yeah. it.
0: Yeah. We've talked about Grandma's spaghetti sauce, um, and I, I mean, I love that. I love that you have that connection. Uh, I have that as well. Let's talk about the football game uh, on uh, Friday night. Disappointing there. Uh, I was there. I thought you guys were the better team. You didn't get the win. I came away thinking, gosh, you're going to kick yourselves when you look at film. How did you feel when you when you looked at some film of the game?
8: Yeah, we were kicking ourselves watching film. Exactly what you said.
0: But, I mean, as if- it's just tough
8: because when you get two good teams playing against each other, it's just it can go either way, and there's obviously a few sets of plays that if we made those plays, it would have drastically changed the outcome of the game, and usually that's just how it goes. And sometimes throughout the year, those plays went in our favor, and sometimes they didn't. That's just that's football.
0: How much was the weather a factor in your mind? The wind maybe more than other things? Is that... You were out there on the field dealing with it. I was in the press box. Granted, it was cold and windy up there, too, but I'm not having to perform and, and uh, throw a ball, catch a ball, you know, kick a ball. What was it like to be on the field?
8: I mean, definitely there was a little bit of a factor in, in terms of play calling and what you wanted to do and, and also the kicks, but I don't think it was too detrimental to the point where it's just impossible to operate.
0: The play that you watch on film that you're kicking yourself for, I'm sure your teammates would all have different answers. I talked to a lineman. He's going to talk about a block that he missed. And you talk to uh, the quarterback. He's going to say, oh, man, I should have put some more air under the ball. What's Jack Coletta? What's the play that you were you kicking yourself over?
8: Oh, it was the fourth and one stop. Granted, there, there wasn't really much room or space, but that drive particularly because that could have put us up 14 nothing.
0: What happened on the play?
8: I'm. I just tried to read it. I read front side A and uh, scanned back, and it just there's just gap, gap, gap. Everything was all filled up. And then watching the film, there's the front side. There was there was a, a gap that was open there. I just didn't see it.
0: Yeah, it's hard in the in the heat of the moment. Was Washington doing something to you guys when you came into the game? Because I noticed that they were getting a little penetration in those gaps. Were they doing something different?
8: Um, in terms of how their D-line played, I'd, probably, I'd be the wrong person to ask. Yeah. But from what I know and understand, I mean, there wasn't really anything that they were doing that we were not unaware of.
0: Yeah. How are you feeling mindset-wise as you pivot to this week? Because you got to have a short memory while learning from mistakes. That's a tough thing to do, I think. But you pivot back to a home game against Cal. Uh, how are you guys feeling sort of psychologically? Let's start there.
8: Well, ultimately, no one's going to feel bad for us. And Cal coming up here definitely is not going to feel bad for us. So at the end of the day, we just have to buckle up and restart and prepare this week like we did all the other weeks leading up to it and
3: go from there.
0: You guys, uh, you know, have been very good at home. What is it about Research Stadium? Is it just being at home? Is it the crowd? What is it about that stadium? Because even the one game you lost in the last 10, it was 17-14. You guys played your asses off.
8: I think Corvallis is just a tough place to play. I mean, visitors coming up, I don't know where they stay, but it's I, from my assumption, it's not super close to the stadium, and then... Just the atmosphere, Razor Stadium tends to get really loud, and I think that can surprise some people, especially with half the stadium down. And also, just the, you know, the fact that it's like we're home, we're right where we are. And but I think there's always a home field advance for some teams, but I think it's especially prominent at Oregon State.
0: Jack Coletto is with us. Uh, all right, uh, what's your go-to restaurant in Corvallis? It's people who are visiting for the game keep asking me. And uh, while I have a daughter who attends Oregon State, I, I haven't asked her that. But you're the food guy. You're the foodie. Where are we sending people, Jack Coletto, when they're visiting Corvallis?
8: Well, uh, it depends on what they want. If they're wanting something, like, quick, I mean, obviously they have certain chains around here, five guys. But if for sit-down, there is one place I do, I do really like, and it is uh, Pistini's. They do a good job there. Or what, what is it? Pistini or Pistini. Pistini's. I don't know uh, the
0: all thing. That, that's your go-to? Do you have a local place, though? Isn't there some, like, mom-and-pop place that has a picture of Jack Coletto autographed on the wall when you walk in? Like, it feels like there should be some kind of pasta joint that has Coletto on the wall.
8: I wish that was the case. I
0: don't know. If there is, no one told me anything about it. <laughs> we need so to. Why thing. don't we open it? Why don't we open it? Like, you know, We'll call it Two Italians, and you know, we'll put your picture on the wall. I can do the radio show from there. It's free marketing every day. We'd kill it.
8: I mean, whose sauce recipe would we be using?
0: We, we put both Grandma's sauces on the menu. You can have the Coletto or you can have the Canzano. People, they just come in. You pick one or other sauce. We're on to something here.
8: Ooh, and just kind of have them like compete against each other and then yeah, have everybody but... in. The competition.
0: Because there would be people, you know, there would be people come in and go, no, 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 it's Grandma Coletto's sauce, and then people would go, no, it's Grandma Canzano's sauce. Like you know, you just have these two sauces that we have pictures of our grandmother on the wall. Come on, we get we get some old Italian, you know, we hire some old Italians to hang out in front, wearing like you know, uh, like Hanes t-shirts, sitting around like they've eaten a pound of pasta. You know, it's it would be it would be phenomenal.
8: Gosh, I'm trying. That that would be
0: something, now wouldn't it? All right. See, I'm just telling you. When you went to Pastini, I kind of was a little disappointed because I was like, that's a chain. We can't do that. You know, I have a hard time with that, even though I think you're right. They're solid.
8: I understand that, but, I mean, I don't know if it's – because the only Pastini I've been to was the one in Corvallis, and I don't know who the chef is there, but they actually – they do a decent job with the recipe.
0: Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. We're talking to Jack Coletto. He is the linebacker, running back, uh, all-purpose guy at Oregon State. Um, you know, look, the, uh, we all know what the locker room looks like because we've seen videos after a win. What's what's the trip home like after a loss in Seattle, the plane ride? How somber is it, or is it, hey, a measure of, look, disappointment, but let's not have despair because you got to very quickly turn around, and by Sunday you have to be refocused on a new game.
8: Yeah, uh, the trip home is usually pretty quiet after a loss. I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you on that one, yeah. but I mean, once you get off the plane, sleep on it for a night, watch the film, and you kind of you get over it.
0: Yeah, well, you have to. You got. I think you'd have to have kind of a short memory in that situation. All right, you got Cal, you got Arizona State, you got the home game against Oregon, you got a bowl game looming. How much are you savoring this as a guy who's been in the program? You know, uh, you know I, we all know you went to Arizona Western. You played there for a year. But, you know, you've been at Oregon State from 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22. Like, are you soaking it up right now, or, or is that something you do when you're over and you look back?
8: Gosh, 2018, 19, God, yeah, that's a lot of years, man. I know. But, I mean, the funny thing is, I think, yeah, definitely when I'm older and once everything's kind of passed there'll be something I look back and reflect on. But for me, it's just once you get into the routine of something and how things work and your schedule, for me, I'm just a day-to-day kind of guy and just focus on really what's right in front of me right now. And it's just it all happens so fast for me to really sit back and look back and reflect on until probably later.
0: I'm on your website, jackhammercoletto.com. If you want to help the Wounded Warrior Project, uh, Jack is donating uh, 25% of the proceeds uh, to the Wounded Warrior Project. You can check out all of his uh, apparel there. What is selling right now? What is your best seller? Because I'm looking at this stuff. And uh, what do you, what's, what's the item that you can't keep in stock right now?
8: Well, I mean, since winter's coming and everything's getting cold, the sweatshirts are... Going up pretty quick, yeah. So that'd be would be my recommendation, unless do you, you want to have... wear a T-shirt in thirty degree weather. That's <laughs> up you... to you.
0: Do you have teammates who wear your gear? Like, do they walk in wearing your gear and you go, "Hey, okay, I get it."
8: No, actually, uh, Coach Spence, our receivers coach, did that uh, for one practice, but other than that, it really hasn't been too crazy. I like I know it. I'm thankful. I'm disappointed in that. I don't know how to <laughs> feel about that. But... It
0: might it might be a little awkward, you know. You don't want your your teammates wearing the stuff. All right, listen, we'll get our heads together on this restaurant. In the meantime, uh, go go beat Cal. I will see you at the stadium, and I appreciate you joining us, Jack Coletto.
8: Excellent. Thanks for having
0: me. There he is, com. if you want to check out the apparel. You can get a uh, can cooler. You can get a Jackhammer logo tee. You can get a knit beanie. You can get a... Uh, You know, you get a hat. You know, I also just thought of something. You know, the restaurant should just be called JC's. Jack Coletto. John Canzano, see? We call it JC's. We get in business together. Now, everybody who owns a restaurant is going to blow up my phone now, telling me this is a bad idea. Because, right, I don't want to be at the restaurant. I don't really want to run a restaurant, nor does Jack Coletto. But it would be kind of cool to have your restaurant and your grandma's sauce on the menu. Just saying. Leave it here, you got the BFT, our big splash, coming up.
1: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 the game.
0: I've been thinking about Tom Brady lately. You guys been doing any thinking about Tom Brady?
4: Uh I mean, not any more than I usually do. No? I mean. I'm always thinking about Tom Brady. but I've
0: been thinking more about him than ever before lately. Because I'm watching this guy struggle. And we're watching essentially, you know, he retired and then he's now coming back to it. And maybe, you know, there was a one of my favorite podcasts is this podcast, Smartless. Jason Bateman on it, uh, among other people who are on the uh, Smartless podcast. But it, they did an interview with, uh, Wayne Gretzky, Sean Hayes and Will Arnett are the other two hosts, but they did a Wayne Gretzky episode, and Gretzky was talking about the requirement of what it takes to be great, and I was listening to this right before the show, because Anna told me to listen to it. She said, you should listen, Wayne Gretzky was on the podcast, she's the big smartless fan, but um, Gretzky was saying that the commitment that you have to have to be that good, because he was the great one, to be that good at your sport. It's not just athleticism. It's not just commitment. It is like hyper-focused commitment to excellence that goes above and beyond what um, even the other dedicated, talented players will do. And he was talking about Brady in that context, saying that you don't understand kind of like it's an entire family that has to buy into it. Like Gretzky was talking about his family, his kids, his wife, how everybody kind of has to understand that. This is what it takes to be that good at a sport. And often you will see with athletes, either they will compromise and they will say, hey, no, I value my family time more or whatnot. And, and I think we all do that to some respect in our jobs. But when there is uh, achievement that is measurable that's on the line and there is so much money on the line, I think it becomes more difficult for professional athletes to do that where they step back and go, "Hey, maybe I'm just, I'm not going to hit 330 this year. I'll be okay hitting 318, so I'll put in 318 effort and I'll have a better family life because of it." And he was kind of just talking about kind of the commitment that it takes. He was talking about golf too, because he was saying he loves golf, but he isn't committed to golf the way he was committed to hockey. Do you think like I have this theory that the same things that make Michael Jordan Tom Brady, you know, others who are driven the way those two are, the same thing that makes them great probably makes them really intolerable to deal with in the real world.
4: I, I 100% agree with you. I, I think that is a real thing. You know, I don't I don't think the average sports fan takes in consideration how much work that these guys have put in, these guys and gals that are at the top of their game, right? I mean, just think about – how good they are, and you know, you we've all played against really good people, but it's not those people aren't even close to where these people are at. So I agree with you. Like, you have to put your family life, your social life, off to the side to be really this good. And I think Tom Brady, you know, going back to him now that he is, you know, they're you know they're divorced now. It seems like the, that burden is almost off his shoulders, and he looked relieved after their game on Sunday when he hugged Byron Leftovich after they won. Like it was a weird. It was a weird look to see Tom Brady have like that. Like it was it was like the you know, the burden's off his shoulders and he doesn't have to worry about that family life and you know, Giselle being mad at him. Like he yeah. just has to focus on football.
0: It's an interesting context. I, I often wonder about it. Judah, do you have a thought on that too, as you kinda look at Brady, Gretzky, Jordan, the great ones. There's you know maybe it's not a sacrifice, Maybe it's just that these guys are wired so differently, and they're also uber talented that you know, what kind of personal life or what kind of person would they be off the field? Like probably not a very enjoyable person to be around.
6: Do you think addicted is a appropriate word for Tom and, and Michael Jordan. They're addicted to their craft. they're addicted to com- competing and winning. I think it's a it's a question. I, I would be hesitant to diagnose,
0: you know, them as addicted without having, like, more I mean, evidence not, of it. It's not clinical. It's more right. of an
6: anecdotal reference, but it seems to fit because everything is subservient to it, including yeah. family life, which the rest of us would say should be the most important thing, arguably, you know. Yeah. That's that's why it makes them hard to relate relate with because, yeah. you know, me, you, I mean, and you've done – John, you've done big stuff at the top of your profession, you know, <laughs> and, and – I guess there's a part, I don't know, do you relate to Tom at all? I mean, you've prioritized family and you're open about that and it's it's really, and it goes well with your brand now and it goes really well with your your writing and the the column angles, the emotional side of things, but was there ever a part of you where you had to make that decision consciously and and sacrifice things professionally? I think How does that work for you? I think we all do it every day. Like, I I find
0: myself, I told Anna this, uh, we were discussing the Brady uh, conundrum in, in the Gretzky episode today, and I told her, I said, you know, in small ways, I think we all make those decisions on a daily basis. Like, I know in the morning, it's really important to me to get going with work because I'm in an industry that values being first, being sourced, being right. But simultaneously, it's very important to me to see the kids before they go to school because I don't see them again because I'm on air 3 to 6 p.m. with the radio show. I'll see them for a blink before the show, and then I won't see them again until dinner time or maybe even bedtime if there's games going on or if I'm traveling. I don't see them at all. So it's really important to me to get that touch point. And I had the the thought this morning. So this morning, a little bit of news came out. Like Adam Rittenberg of ESPN sort of tweeted out that, Colorado and Arizona State moving towards hires you know he kind of gave a timeline for November December we've talked about in the show like I expect those hires to happen late November early December as well but he said that you know in his tweet that Colorado's in the red zone and my phone blew up and simultaneously I was kind of dealing with kids and family and I had to make a decision do I do I tell the kids hey have a good day at school see you later and then start working the phones or do I make a concession in going, hey, you know, this is big news in the Colorado world and the Pac-12 footprint, but, you know, I may not be first here. I may not be the one to break it. And I got to be honest with you. I, I looked at my phone and I went, you know, I'll send a text message after the kids get off to school or I'll start making phone calls. Then I'm not going to give up that time. I think we all do that in our daily jobs. Like, I think a lot of people are better at it in sort of drawing a boundary. I'm not great at it. It's something I always have to work on. But I thought about it today. I was like, you know what? I could be a little better if I didn't care so much about my kids. And I do think that there are some professional athletes who go, look, this is a corporation. If I'm Wayne Gretzky, I'm a, This is a, the Gretzky family is a corporation. Wayne Gretzky's job is to be Wayne Gretzky and be the best he can possibly be. And his wife's job is different than him, and it's a supporting role. And I think if you're really like fortunate, the pieces fit together in a way that work. But I think we see a lot of cases with athletes who drift away from their significant others, who aren't good fathers, especially in sports where they're playing a lot more, like the NBA or Major League Baseball, and they don't do a good job of you know balancing that role. Because you're right. like In order to be really good at what you do, to be the best that you can possibly be at what you do, it does require you to to not be some other things. It requires you to say, hey, look, here's I have a limited bandwidth. What am I going to do with it? So I make that decision, I think, on a daily basis, but I think a lot of our listeners probably do as well. I think people are nodding out there going, you know what? I could be a little better at my job. I could make one more call. I could maybe close one more deal. I could write one more column. I could break a little more news. But at the, at the sacrifice of my kids going off to school without seeing me, talking to me, getting me, like tying their shoes in the morning – that's where I draw the line. I think it's I think it's a it is a issue and it is a conundrum, a dilemma, so to speak, for everybody who's out there probably listening to the show. I think we're all doing it, right? I think we're all doing it to some respect. Coming up, four o'clock hour. Rich Brooks on the Oregon-Washington rivalry and a whole bunch more. Leave it here. You got the BFT statewide.
1: B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights. Here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
0: I got a question uh, about this UCLA-USC to the Big Ten Conference debate that we've been having. Trying to step back. Assess step back a little more, assess again. You know how uh, You know how we've talked about the travel distance for the teams playing games in different time zones? I don't think in football it's going to be that big a deal. Like, consider this. Consider that UCLA played Arizona State on Saturday night. Late game, 7.30 kickoff. Game ended at 11.15 local time in Arizona. UCLA arrived back, tracked their play, in LA at 3 o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning. Okay, they got back at 3 a.m. Let's just suppose they were playing Michigan and Ann Arbor, same Saturday. I think they'd probably get home at like 10 p.m. They would have played a day game, they would have got on the flight, they would have flown home. So I don't think for football it's going to be that big a deal. But the Olympic sports in other time zones, baseball in other time zones, volleyball in other time zones, basketball in other time zones, I think it's that potentially is a problem. You guys see any trouble with my logic, you know, cuz this whole time I've been talking about travel, travel, travel. I, I actually think football is going to be relatively immune to this. It's just a smaller, it's like 6 games. It's, you know, they were traveling anyway for some of these non-conference games. Like what do you guys make of the travel argument?
4: Yeah, no, it's uh the one game a week and it's on the weekend too. I think that helps as well. Uh, you know, you look at a basketball, you know, they're playing Monday, they're playing weekdays. That's going to be a tough schedule when you have to play uh you know, seven PM on, you know, the east coast and then you're flying back home and you're gonna be getting home after that game if you only have that one game on the road that week. So yeah, for the non football sports, I think the travel is going to be a real problem um in during
6: the season. Yeah, who knew the way to escape Pac twelve after dark was just to join the Big Ten. (laughs) I mean, that kind of solves it. I wonder if David Shaw wants to go to the Big Ten now he's always railing on these 7.45 and 8 o'clock kickoffs at home. Like He'll still have it worse playing home games than Chip and Lincoln will have it playing halfway across the country. But do you think
4: that um, the Big Ten is going to put some of these Pac-12 schools even in that big noon kickoff when it kicks off at 9 a.m. here on the West yeah, Coast? It's better Maybe. for
6: them still, though. I mean, or, the worst thing is jet lag at that point. It's not really like academic balancing or anything.
0: I think the bigger problem
6: comes when Ohio
0: State is asked to play a 7 o'clock game, like if the Big Ten really values what people keep calling the 4th time zone, a specific time zone. I hate when people call it the 4th time zone. They If they really are valuing that 6 or 7 o'clock kickoff window, is Ohio State of Michigan, are they going to be okay playing in that window? Playing a game that would kick off 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, local time, in their body clocks? Like I, That's a question. But I think it's the other sports that are going to take a raw deal here. And and uh, I think uh, it'll be a massive hassle for everything but football. Football's not that big, big a deal because, you know, you're talking about six games. I mean, if they have to go play Rutgers and whatnot, that's fine. But I was in the team hotel and Saturday. I told you guys about, you know, the soccer team. The UCLA soccer team was eating breakfast. It was 7 o'clock in the morning. They had just been to Rutgers like six days earlier. They were wiped out, and they were getting on a van to go play Oregon State in Corvallis. And uh, They were getting on the van on Friday morning, and they would play Sunday in Corvallis, and they looked wiped. They looked just drained. It was 7.15 in the morning, and I thought, these guys, how is that going to feel? A five-hour plane trip to Rutgers or uh, whatnot, Maryland, uh, they play those two schools. They're going to have to go a long way to do that.
4: I do think that to um, hear 7 o'clock comment about like Ohio State, will they be okay? I don't think the Big Ten is going to put them at 7 o'clock it'll be like Rutgers or Maryland or Minnesota that's going to USC, UCLA in those time slots. They're not going to put an Ohio State there because it's just too late for their whole fan base. Yeah,
0: you're right about that. Uh, But let's see. Let's see what happens. I I don't think football's the issue. I think the other sports are the issue. And then the other issue is, you know, is it worth it? You know, they're getting $62.5 million a year in media rights money. You know, when we see the Pac-12's annual you know, number, what is that number? If that number starts to push, you know, along with uh, the subsidy that they'll be paying in travel, if it starts to balance out, now all of a sudden, you know, it doesn't make sense for UCLA or USC to go to the Big Ten because there's, you know, the two things that matter to these programs in football are access to the playoff and and media rights money. So if you don't have access to the playoff and the media rights money is, uh, you know, if the advantage is, is negligible, then you got a real issue and uh, a question on whether or not you should even be doing this. We'll see what happens. November fifteenth to the seventeenth, UC Regents away. in. I'm still putting it about. I'm putting it at five to eight percent that UCLA stays in the Pac-12. I think there's about a ninety-two to ninety-five percent chance that they are gone, and uh, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. In, in oh, the rankings are coming out. Well, let's do it. The college football playoff rankings are coming out, and you're saying Washington is at 25. Why don't we do it live as they do the reveal here? Uh, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Washington
4: Steven. is in at uh, 20, 25 right now at a 7-2 record over that, uh, after the win against the Beavers. So Oregon will be facing a top 25 team this week.
0: That's good for Oregon. They get an opportunity to uh, play a team that is ranked. That will help them a little bit. Uh, strength of schedule wise, Kentucky at 24, Florida State at 23, USF at 22, Illinois at 21. No big surprises there. I'm keeping an eye on the one and two loss teams, but we'll get an idea of where Oregon is in the rankings here coming up. But uh, Washington at number 25 in this week's college football playoff ranking poll. What do you think's going to happen to LSU, guys? Where are they going to be?
4: Yeah, that's a good one. Um I, I I put the joke out on Twitter that they're going to be ranked above Oregon. I just can't see they're going to do that quite yet, not yet. I think they'll be right around seven.
0: There you go, Probably Washington eight. at twenty-five. We'll see what happens. I think that could potentially be a problem for uh, Oregon if you see that. Uh, the uh, Notre Dame's at twenty, uh, Kansas State at nineteen, Texas at eighteen, Tulane at seventeen, North Carolina State at sixteen as they uh, release the top 25 of the college football playoff rankings. Eager to see. Big jump there for Texas, uh, six spots up to 18.
4: And Notre and, Dame at 20. You know, you talk about USC. If they want a shot college football playoff, they get Notre Dame at the end of the season. I think
0: USC still got the clearest path because they do not have the hangover from the Georgia game uh, lingering in their resume. We'll see what happens. What would you guys make of Joel Klatt saying that Oregon should not have played the game?
4: I, uh... I kind of agree now, just based off how this season has gone and how the narrative is nobody can get over that loss. Yeah. Utah is right? at
0: 13, UCLA is at 12. So uh, for Pac-12 teams, it is now uh, number 25 Washington, uh, number 13 Utah, and number 12 UCLA. Where will the Ducks be? Where will USC be? So we will uh, soon find out as these uh, rankings pop out. Uh, so far, the Pac-12 not looking too shabby. Uh, One-loss teams now starting to pop up around 12, with UCLA, Ole Miss at 11. Uh, let's see.
4: As what do you uh, think? Or- what do you think of that comment about Klatt saying that they should not have played that game? Have well, I guess I think it's
0: easy to say that in hindsight, and I think that you know the rules of the game have changed as they are scheduling. Like you beat Ohio State last year. I I said before the Ohio State game they shouldn't have played Ohio State last year because I thought you know there was some huge downside if you lose to it, but. They beat Ohio State last year. They lose to Georgia this year. So if you're, you know, if you're uh, an Oregon fan, you won one, you lost one, and you know, I think you got a little bit of the good, a little bit of the bad. Now Clemson's at number ten, so they're uh, they're going to be behind Oregon. So uh, keep an eye on where the Ducks will be. Maybe the Ducks will be somewhere, you think, around seven, six, seven?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think anywhere right around there, I, it seems like 6 or 7 seems like a good spot for them. I think it's a good sign that a one-loss Clemson, yes. who was number 4 last week, lose a game. They're behind both USC and Oregon. So, again, a little bit of the benefit of the doubt for the Pac-12. Yeah,
0: I, mean, I think it was the way they lost. They lost to Notre Dame, uh, and I do think that the committee is looking at the the recency of things that are happening now. They're trying to judge who are the best Four teams right now
4: that, that would all but eliminates Clemson from the college football yeah. plan, don't you think? It does,
0: but I mean, I still I, I don't want, I hesitate to say anything in this world where you know anybody can beat anybody,
4: <laughs> that's, and all of that's a sudden, true,
0: yeah, you get a one loss Clemson team that could sneak back into the conversation. But certainly a loss to the way they lost to Notre Dame and losing to Notre Dame, uh, it really hurts their resume, and it's yeah. obvious they dropped six spots.
4: Yeah, and just the way they've played this year, they've had a couple close calls. NC State, Syracuse, like they haven't looked great even in some of their wins. So they don't have the resume or, uh, you know, now they got the loss.
0: Yeah, we're still waiting on uh,
4: USC. Number nine, Alabama, 7-2.
0: Ooh, that's interesting. Is Alabama popping up at nine, they drop three spots from six to nine. I want your reaction. Should Oregon have played Georgia? 503-417-7575. And lineup as we will... And get your live reaction to the college football playoff top 25 rankings that are coming out. Alabama now at nine. Two loss Alabama sitting at number nine. Um, I think Alabama could still be a problem for the Pac-12. If Alabama came back and somehow won the SEC championship, uh, they'd be a two loss conference champion. Keep an eye. USC's at eight. They move up one spot.
4: So LSU, LSU's ahead of USC, LSU jumps then. USC. Will they jump Oregon? Wow. Two loss
0: there you go. Uh, LSU's win over Alabama could be a problem as well. I thought LSU would be on, on Oregon's shoulder. I'm going to predict LSU at 7, Oregon at 6. Let's see how it goes. Who's going to be number 7?
4: I'll go opposite from you. I'll, I'll bet you on that. I think LSU's 6, Oregon 7.
0: I just think it's a two-loss team, and Oregon's only loss would be to presumably number 1, Georgia. Uh, we'll see what happens as they, uh, as they break here. I love how they do this. Now they're breaking, <laughs> and they're going to take a break between... The uh, n- number 6 and number 7.
4: Don't they know we're recapping it live on the radio yeah. show?
0: Well, I'm, hey, look, here's the thing. I want your reaction to this. Let's take a break while they're taking a break. Yeah, let's do it. And when we come back, the top seven of the CFP revealed, plus your discussion on it. If you want to line up and weigh in on and live react to Oregon uh, and their ranking in the poll. And, hey, if you want to tell me whether you think Oregon should have scheduled Georgia, you tell me. 503-417-7575.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
0: Well, we're hanging in the balance, trying to figure out if Oregon's going to be number six or number seven. It'll be Oregon and LSU. They have announced everything else, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 8 through 25. They have left six and seven wide open. Will it be Oregon at six or will it be two loss LSU at six? I think it's going to be Oregon at six, but uh, we're waiting for the, the College Football Playoff uh, Selection Committee's top 25 rankings to be released, and this is a lot like an award show where they are saying, and the envelope, please, as they are waiting to announce number six and number seven. Uh, Reese Davis, the host of the show, did mention uh, that Oregon's playing Pac-12 teams. I think that was kind of a ridiculous statement given USC, UCLA, Utah, and Washington all being ranked. Give me a break. But will they be six or will they be seven? Steven, you think seven?
4: Yeah, I'll go seven.
0: And it'll be Oregon at six. Oregon is at six. The Ducks move up. It'll be uh, number six, Oregon. Number eight, USC. Number 12, UCLA. Number 13, Utah. Number 25, Washington. Uh, This is not apparently good enough for Reese Davis as LSU weighs in. At number seven, that's two-loss LSU right on Oregon's shoulder. I thought they would be there. I think just too much to put a two-loss team in front of a team that only lost to number one Georgia. So you see Tennessee and Oregon both sitting there. Oregon's going to need help, though. I think I still think you have an SEC problem if you're Oregon because you're going to have to get by Tennessee. You're going to have to get by uh, TCU. Uh, you're going to have to uh, presumably, uh, you know, some of the some of this will be settled as the Big Ten we'll settle who is the champion and who is not. Michigan or Ohio State probably to take a step back. But guys, what do you think of Oregon at 6?
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, I it was down to them and LSU at 6-7. I think that's about right. Uh and you got to feel good about it. You know, TCU, they've gotten by a few teams. I feel like they are going to fall at some point. If Oregon wins out, you know, they're going to have to hope that they jump Tennessee at some point. I don't know if that's possible. The other outcome is I know it's not likely, but if L S U ran the table, are they gonna jump Oregon at the end with two losses? Like that is a possibility right there. So you know, I think it's good that Alabama's all the way down at nine. I think it's good that Clemson's all the way down at ten. So those teams seem like they're relatively out of it and can't jump Oregon. I think Oregon at six coming up. Now they got tough games against the Washington team who's ranked Utah's with the top fifteen. Well I guess, uh, and then yeah. Oregon State could get back in it if they win their next two games. So they're gonna play, you know, three ranked teams at the end of the year.
0: Oregon at 6, I like. Judah, what do you
6: think? I'm kind of looking at the loser of the Ohio State-Michigan game mm-hmm. that does not play in the Big Ten title as a result, that is left with one loss. And does Oregon say they, you know, obviously went run the table? They put a one-loss Pac-12 champ Ducks over a one-loss Michigan or a one-loss Ohio State. And that's a little hairier, I think, than a one-loss Tennessee because Tennessee didn't win its division. I think that um, yeah.
0: they historically have said they value conference champions. Do you know you, I, do you I believe them? I, I want to hold them at their word until they say otherwise. But and and I think I think whoever loses I think Michigan is going to be the odd team out. I think Ohio State's going to win that game. So I think Michigan's the odd team out. I think Michigan goes to the Rose Bowl. And I think Oregon's issue now becomes Tennessee and the potential that somebody beats Georgia in the SEC title game. And you know, could that be Alabama reintroducing itself? Could it be someone else? Could, it, it won't be
6: Alabama because they—they're—I mean, they're not going to win the West at this point. No. Like LSU will probably represent the West. Hell, probably. Ole, Ole Miss only has one loss, right? They're eleven. They—they they play yeah. Alabama this week. They might represent the West in that yeah. game. But yeah, the, you're right. The West champ, if they beat Georgia, that could—that's a problem. complicate things a bit because Georgia is not missing the playoff even with one loss in the yeah. SEC title. Hell.
0: And, and I think that's the issue, is I, I could see two SEC teams getting in. So I think Oregon needs a loss by TCU. It needs a loss by, uh, obviously, one of the Big Ten teams, probably Michigan. And then Oregon's got to win out, and I think Oregon has to look good doing it. And then uh, I think, you know, if Oregon has wins over number 13 Utah, 25 Washington, and let's say they beat USC in the conference title game, uh, I think – that's a resume that would be difficult to ignore. This is better than I expected for Oregon a week ago, given the chaos that we saw last week. Let's go to the phone lines. Mark in Portland's called in. Go ahead, Mark.
7: You guys are torturing me. I mean, I mean, the question whether should they have played Georgia or not, obviously in this system, if your goal is to make the playoff, that would be a big no. Alabama's yeah. never going to come to Austin Stadium to play a game in the preseason in the you know first couple of games. Um to me, I know these I know this, these guys better than they know themselves. I mean, <laughs> if TCU loses, then the Pac-12 champion is almost for sure going to get in. Because the loser of the Big Ten uh, game between Michigan and Ohio State, they won't have a chance to play in a conference title. So uh, if it's Oregon and USC, it's going to be a top-ten matchup for the conference championship. Unless these guys are crazy enough, which they could be, to put three SEC teams in, which... That big cause, I don't think they're going to do that. There's going to be two SEC teams. So Oregon should be focusing on hoping that TCU loses. That will eliminate two conferences, the ACC and the Big 12. And then the Pac-12 champion, the Big 10 champion, and two SEC teams. To me, it's cut and dry right now. I mean, I've I've watched this so long, but it's it's just driving me nuts. I can't wait until uh, there's a real playoff in college football. Can you imagine doing what you guys do at your job but doing this over the power NFL Power Top Ten rankings, no one would listen to you. No one would yeah. care. Yeah. I mean, every conference champion should be in this and controlling their own destiny. It's just absolutely ridiculous that we, we go through this. But they've got us hook, line, and sinker, don't they?
0: Yeah, they do. And, there, you know, look, there is a path for Oregon here. You plotted it out. It's got to be TCU losing a game. And then it's got to be, uh, you know, somebody like – Uh, It's got to be Georgia winning the SEC championship game. John, do you think there's any chance
4: if Oregon wins out and let's say TCU does lose like we want them to, and then Oregon, could Oregon be the one one lost team that gets into the playoff?
0: Yes, they could. Because I could see Georgia, I could see Ohio State, um, I could see, uh, let's say TCU doesn't lose under your scenario. Yeah, uh, yeah they're in. And that is and Michigan, then,
4: Tennessee, Oregon.
0: You'd be picking between Minis- Michigan, Tennessee, Oregon, and a two-loss LSU. And, and Oregon
4: would have the only yeah. conference championship.
0: And Oregon would also have their only loss being against Georgia, which I think helps their case.
4: So, uh, I mean, so realistically, what we're saying is if Oregon wins out, they have a pretty solid shot to get in. Yep. Mm-hmm
0: went out in a little chaos in front of you, just a little. But you But you need Georgia, like Judah pointed that out, you need Georgia. Georgia's got to win the SEC and and look good doing it, probably, to help your case. Let's go to the phone lines. Matt's in Portland. Matt, what do you see, Matt? What
5: do you see, Matt? Matt, you
7: think, Matt? Uh, I think Oregon should play Georgia or any of those teams anytime they can. Um, I love those games. I don't think anyone... I think a lot of people saw Georgia beating us, of course, but no one saw them beating us this bad. I don't think anyone took into account Mario Cristobal leaving right before that game happened. Um, I think they absolutely should play these games every year. I have no qualms about it. We don't need to fish the system and try to get in because, oh, you know, we beat Hawaii or whoever else. <laughs> keep keep putting these games on, on the, the, the docket, and you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. End of story.
0: Yeah, and when they go to a 12-team playoff, this won't be a question because part of the reason why Oregon took the game against Georgia was that it got, it got $4.5 million to play the game. It was a big payday. Georgia got $5.5 million to play Oregon while it being a home game. So, you know, there was $10 million spent by the TV networks and Chick-fil-A to put that game together. And when they go to a 12-team playoff, you can play those games without, you know, just knowing that, hey, look, as long as you recover – and you win your conference championship game, you're going to be okay. Jacob is in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports Eugene, Powerhouse Station. Jacob, what do you see?
4: Absolutely
5: that uh, I'm going to agree with the, the pass caller. When it comes to uh, you know Oregon having good teams, we've seen that before. Oregon's had a lot of good teams, but they've never had the best team. In order to get to be the best team, you got to play the best team, specifically out of the SEC. I think they should schedule more of those. It's just rough that they're usually, you know, week one or week two. Yeah. Yeah,
0: you're not getting them when you are at your best. And, look, I think in Oregon's case, it made a bigger difference. Like, I don't think Oregon – I think Oregon plays Georgia 100 times. They probably lose 98 of them. You know, I'm being – maybe I'm being generous. But I think, like, in Oregon's case, it was a worst-case scenario with Dan Lanning having his first game, Bo Nix playing his first game at Oregon, Kirby Smart – and Georgia, they were, I was in the building. They pretty much were holding the ring ceremony for their national championship uh, in the building. Like the Georgia fans who didn't get to go to the parade came to Atlanta to watch uh, Georgia play in the season opener against Oregon. It, it was just not an ideal circumstance for Oregon. Michael's in Eugene. Michael, what do you got? John,
2: you and I have come a long way. I, uh, class of 97, and during Willie Gate, I thought you were the scourge, but you are the best journalist on the West Coast because you report facts and the Lanning Rumor to Auburn exhibit AAA in my book. I love the show. Thank you. Here's how this is... Well, I mean, I didn't even used to like you, John, but you are the best, and I think you could take this show... I mean, you could syndicate nationally, it's that good and I really appreciate the backdrop as I do my job every day. The Lanning loyalty and the way he came out and squashed that rumor, and you were the first to report that, that is indicative of what I see. If Dan Lanning stays in Eugene five years, we will be in the playoff at least two of those years, and I think with Alabama's star waning and a couple of other things, the equality, the recruiting disbursement across the geography that the expanded playoff will yield, Dan Lanning can win a national title in Eugene. And you know how smart he is? He knows that. He knows that, which is why he looks at the dumpster fire that exists on the plains of Georgia at Auburn and says, no, thank you. Here is what I want you to explore for me, John, as... Uncle Phil's time leading our beloved ducks, he's not going to live till he's 120. Can you do me a solid and see if there is some type of uh, will and trust endowment that is underneath Nike? This is a sidebar that is going to keep the queeping uh, to keep us amongst the haves. I have to suspect that there is, and that's kind of a dark to do. Um, I will email you separately, and maybe you can run that down for me. But we got a football team, and more importantly, we have a coach. And I will say this. I've seen the Ducks lose two national title games. I've seen us play in all five of the modern-day Rose Bowls, which blow the national title games to bits as far as pomp and circumstance goes. I think that – The Ducks, yeah, they would lose 7 out of 10 to Georgia, but they are very well put together right now. They almost remind me of Chip's Ducks at the height of his power. They are always ready. Every Saturday, it does not matter, the competition, and they are going to put the Dogs down on Saturday. I expect a victory. I'll bet you it's between 14 and 21 points. The weather is going to be very smooth at Autzen, and they are just – better equipped and better coached. I think uh the UW coach is going to improve them and he knows what he's yeah. doing. But Dan I, Lanning really knows what he's doing.
0: Yeah, and I, look I appreciate the call Michael and Eugene and look, here's here's the uh here's the bottom line on Lanning. Uh, I don't think he's dumb and I also think look, I'm going to play his statement. He was asked yesterday about the Auburn rumor and I told you if you look, if you listen to this show, uh, I'm going to tell you what's going on. I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear all the time. I'll just tell you what's going on. You can decide how you feel about it. Uh, and for those of you who subscribe to me at johnconzano.com, you know on Sunday night at 8.30 you got an email from me. If you are a free subscriber, if you are a paid subscriber, you got an email. And I told you what Dan Lanning thought about Auburn. And uh, everybody else had to wait till Monday afternoon, Monday evening, when he made his statement. But you know, on Sunday night at 8.30 you would have known you would have slept like a baby. you're an Oregon fan. So go there, go to johnconzano.com, get a free subscription, get a paid subscription. I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what's going on. And uh, coming up, you'll hear Dan Lanning's comments. You'll also hear Rich Brooks, the former Oregon coach. Uh, Wilner and I had Brooks on the podcast, the Conzano and Wilner podcast today. And Rich Brooks told an amazing story about Don James, the Washington coach, the dog father, so to speak, because we were asking Brooks about the origin of the Oregon-Washington rivalry, and he went deep on it. You're going to want to hear this story. Leave it here.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game.
0: Dan Lanning uh, Oregon football coach shot down the rumors about Auburn yesterday. He was asked at his media availability uh what uh, uh what, whether he wanted to respond to the rumor that there was some mutual interest between Auburn and himself. Here's what Dan Lanning had to say yesterday.
9: Yeah, uh first off, I'll say when you know things like this are going to come up when you have team success and when you do your job and things go the way, you know they're supposed to go. That's credit really to our team. That being said, I think there's a, a little bit of a problem in society today with people looking for what's next and where where there's an opportunity. And the reality is, you know, the grass is not always greener. In fact, the grass is damn green in Eugene, right? And I wanna be here in Eugene for as long as Eugene will have me. This place has everything that I could possibly ever want. Uh, my family could ever want. I've got an 11 year old that's lived in eight states. The last thing I ever wanna do is leave. Right, so I, I want to enjoy this opportunity here. It's been a, a phenomenal place for us, um, and when you talk about things that align, things that, that will match your vision for what you're looking for as a head coach, you know, Oregon checks every box for me. Right, so when other people, I, th- I think history maybe shows that it's this is a great place to be and not a great place to leave. I want to be here, and uh, hopefully that's the last time I have to really address it. But the reality is. This is a destination, not just for me, but for elite players. And why is it a destination? Because great administration, great fans, um, great support. um, And it's a good reason to be here and why we're having success that we're having.
0: Dan Lanning talking about the rumors about him going to Auburn. I think it's interesting. The thing that jumped out to me uh, look, on, on Sunday night, I communicated with Lanning. He told me he had zero interest in the job, so I'm not surprised by this. He was itching to talk about it. He said, I hope someone asked me about it on Monday. I did text one of the media members who covers the Ducks, and I said, hey, make sure somebody asked him in that news conference uh, what what uh, uh, what he feels about this or what he thinks about it because it gives him an opportunity to shoot it down, and I think that's what he wanted to do. And I think the part that jumped out to me, though, was the part where he said that his 11-year-old has lived in eight different places. Like, I think that matters to Dan Lanning. And I don't think that that has mattered historically to coaches at Oregon, but I think it matters to Dan Lanning. So uh, if I am uh, an Oregon fan, I loved hearing that. If you're an Oregon fan, I think you probably really enjoyed hearing that. If you are um, not an Oregon fan, maybe roll your eyes a little bit. And you go, okay, he says that now. Let's see what he says two three years from now. But it just he again, I'm gonna come back to this. He doesn't have a destination to go to. He doesn't have a place. He doesn't have an alma mater. He you know, he went to William Jewell College. He doesn't have uh, you know, somebody calling his name saying, Hey, we you know, we want to bring you back. Like he doesn't have that draw. He also is a guy who who uh, you know obviously played uh, his college at Division two, and it's not you know he's not going to have that draw. He's not going to have the geography of Missouri, rural Missouri, calling to him. You know, it's not like he's from SEC country, even though Missouri's an SEC program. I think every, anybody in the SEC sort of recognizes that that's not uh, it's you know they don't really recognize Missouri as SEC country so to speak so i think it's just really interesting to kind of hear him talk that way guys what did you hear is dan lanning is shooting down the auburn rumors
4: yeah i mean i at least think he's here for the short term right and i i, I don't think auburn's the job that he would leave for i think it's tough to say you know what is he going to do in 10 15 years if oregon continues to win um and then alabama's coaching job becomes available or Georgia's job becomes available would he not jump at something like that i think he might but at this point like I have no reason not to believe that he's going to jump for especially like a middle of the road SEC job. I think Oregon has a much better chance, especially with the CFP expanding to make the playoff. So I don't see anytime soon Dan Lanning is going to leave. But I can't say that he's going to be forever at Oregon. I think at some point he probably would end up leaving or trying the NFL or something like that. But at this point, you know, for the foreseeable future, I think he's here.
6: Let's see what he does when uh, Kenny Dillingham leaves. Hmm. Yeah, it's another. It's a great point.
0: Like. Guys, do you think Mario Cristobal is getting a raw deal at Miami with all the fans up in arms over, you know, nine games into his tenure, ripping him and saying, oh, this isn't the success, this isn't what we're paying for. Is it too soon? Is it unfair to Cristobal? Is it too soon to anoint Lanning as the forever guy at Oregon?
4: Yeah, it's too soon to to, uh, criticize Cristobal like that. I think people just see, you know, Lincoln Riley came into USC year one and turned it around right away. Right. And so I think people are hoping that's going to happen, but that is the outlier. Like that usually doesn't happen. And even you and me, John, thought that they were, USC was going to be a little worse than they are right now, but they've been overachieving all season long. I think it's hard to expect a coach to come in year one and, you know, really turn around the program. I think he is getting a little bit of a raw deal. He's bringing the recruits. At some point, that program will turn around. They'll start getting eight, nine wins a season.
6: Yeah. I just don't think they have the dudes that USC still had, you know say what you want about clay they, they still had some athletes on defense a great d coordinator and alex grinch crystal ball's offense is so unattractive in terms of scheme that it's going to be really hard to jump start a rebuild like he is re- it's admirable how he's rebuilding it from the very the bare bones but these bare bones are still bare, man. And the quarterback's not as healthy or as good as we thought. And it's got to be a long-term thing. But it has to be. I mean, they've invested too much in him now to, uh, to go any other direction.
0: I never saw Mario Cristobal win a game where he didn't have the better players. And, and that is ringing in my mind as I'm watching him at Miami. He's not, out, he's not built to outcoach somebody like Mike Leach did. Like, Mike Leach beat Oregon six times in a row, and I remember I asked Leach after that sixth win, and I said, what, what, what's going on there? And he goes, imagine what I would do with their guys. Like, like that, you know, I think there was some truth in that. Like, he, Mario Cristobal is not going to out-X and O you. He out-recruits you. He beats you in the off season, He has better players. And I think Oregon's benefiting from that right now. I think the offensive line was built by Mario Cristobal, right? So I think you have to, if you're a Miami fan, they don't want to hear this because they want success right now. you got to wait because I think it's going to take Mario Cristobal two to three seasons to get that kind of talent there where it, it's, it, it's the great equalizer. Because we all watched him coach games. He's not out coaching anybody. That's not how he's built. That's not his strength. His strength is out recruiting you and then coaching good enough to beat you. So it, I think it's why... He wasted Justin Herbert as a quarterback like he wasn't built to to utilize that, but I think what will happen is Miami will eventually win and, and I think you're right on on landing guys like I think we need to wait and have a bigger sample size for landing too before we anoint him as like the forever guy. He's he's good for right now after a really encouraging start. I think you have to love it if you're a duck fan. Wait a little bit. Let's see what he does without Kenny Dillingham. Let's see what he does when you know his recruits are in there in two years and three years. Have a little bit of patience. Look at a bigger sample size. But I think Miami, probably the expectations at Miami were too high. But we're, we're all watching Mario Cristobal coach these games, and we're, and we're going, he's not out-coaching anybody. We never saw that. We never saw him out-coach Stanford. We never saw him out-coach Washington State. He went there and lost with a better team. He you know he went to uh, to Arizona and lost with a better team. He got out coached, but uh, over time he built depth in recruiting that was just it was too good. They were too good on the field and that's how they won. Cred- his credit. Like you know not everybody is an X and O genius. He's not. He's a recruiting genius. Still genius in it. Leave it here. You got the bald faced truth. Rich Brooks telling stories next.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
0: Well done, Judah Newby. Little uh, spin doctors?
6: I have no idea, actually. Semi-charmed
0: life? This Third yeah, Eye it's Blind. Third Eye Blind. Third Eye Blind. Semi-charmed life,
6: yeah. You got it. Sorry.
0: Uh, thanks for that. Uh, look, uh, the playoff rankings are out. Uh, good news for the Pac-12. There appears to be a path for a one-loss conference champion to make the playoff, either Oregon or USC. There's a path there. Um, it's better than uh, it looked a week ago. But uh, the Pac-12 teams need to continue to win. Uh, in the meantime, you got Oregon Washington this week. That is a big game. Rich Brooks former Oregon head coach, one of the architects of the success in uh, Oregon, joined John Wilner and I on the Gonzano and Wilner podcast. He told a wonderful story about the birth of the Oregon-Washington rivalry, and he told another story about Don James. Now, I'm going to start with the Don James story because it's pretty funny. And for people who know Washington and Oregon and know the rivalry, uh, this is a good story coming from a guy who knows the rivalry. Here's Rich Brooks, the former Oregon head coach.
10: Well, it's it's done a flip-flop, obviously, since my days. Uh, uh, we were the have-nots, and Washington were part of the haves. Uh, Don James had everything going his way up there. And, and now the Huskies are seeing the other side of that rivalry. And, you know, I go back to my playing days at Oregon State. Uh, Oregon State-Washington was always a big rivalry. And in those days, Oregon State and Oregon played the Washington game in Multnomah Stadium. Um, And so the Huskies didn't have to travel very far, and neither did uh, the Beavers and the Ducks. But we kind of got robbed of having that game on our campus in those days. Uh, And then it switched to the campuses, and I don't know if you know, there was an old rule uh, between the four Northwest schools, the ADs kind of had a gentleman's agreement that they wouldn't travel by plane, that they would take buses. And uh, that worked all fine and dandy until Don James was bringing a team down uh, in, in the 80s, and... We had just put in new Omniturf, and I, I remember this very well, and, and Don James, and we were watering the sand in, and we were watering the field when he came out uh, for pregame warm-up, and we took the sprinklers off, and he went nuts. He thought we were trying to make it slick. We were just trying to keep the sand from coming up and getting in the players' uniforms. <laughs> and, and on that trip down they had a bus, a bus trip and somewhere up above Longview, they pulled into a rest stop because Don James was in the first bus and the second bus passed him with the, I don't know if the offense or defensive bus, but Don James was on the first bus and he pulled into the rest stop and called, told the guy to tell the other bus to pull in and he, and he immediately proceeded to chew out the bus driver that, you know, you never, ever let the second bus pass the first bus, ever. And <laughs> then he came down and saw us water in the field, and we won that game. We beat them. I think that was the Terry Obi 49 special reverse on fourth and one from about the four, and uh, we scored and won the game. And after that, Don James never took a bus ride in the northwest again he went home he was so incensed because they when they when he chewed that bus driver out that bus driver refused to get back in and drive the bus and they had to drive a driver up from portland to finish the trip so it took <laughs> a, what was normally a five-hour bus trip into about a seven-hour bus trip and i think he blamed that for the loss and look- uh Anyway, the, the rivalry has changed a great deal. Uh, and certainly uh, the Huskies have had some ups and downs, and then Oregon has had their number pretty good for the last oh, 20 plus years.
0: That's the one of the godfathers of this rivalry, Rich Brooks, talking about Washington and Oregon. I love the story about the bus driver. Uh, having to be brought up from Portland, guys. I think that's really funny as you look at that. Um, He also talked about the birth of the rivalry. And, you know, did it begin with Kenny Wheaton, really? No. Brooks said no. Well, you know, it's it's always been, I think, pretty strong.
10: Uh, I can remember when my first game, uh, Don James came to town and uh, I think it was his either second or third year, it was my first year, and we had played uh, and lost a really close game at Georgia, had been at TCU and won that game in a wild, crazy game, and and then played Bill Walsh's team at Stafford and lost a close game and came home to play the Huskies. And Washington, I think, had a 2-1 and record coming, or no, 3-0. and they were 0 oh, and three, excuse me, and they were coming to town, and they were talking about maybe John James was going to get fired up there, and we we ran three offensive plays, and we were down 21 to nothing, and a game ended up 53 to nothing, I believe, and that was my welcoming to the rivalry, which I thought was going to be a close, hard pot football game. And Don James went on to go to the Rose Bowl, and then his run started. And I was in the middle of that run, obviously, and took the brunt of it. Uh, but uh, you know, we had some good ones. We had, we beat them up there with a with a lot of uh, Washington kids uh, in 1980 uh, up in Seattle, and that was a big win for us because we had not had a lot of success, and and uh, it was. It was a great win for us, and we had a lot of Washington kids on the roster that they hadn't offered. And every year after that, when I went into the state of Washington and offered a kid, within a week, Don James, if he hadn't already offered that kid, he'd come in on top of me and offer him
1: because
10: he wasn't going to let me get any more of those good Washington kids.
0: There's uh, you know, Rich Brooks talking about the rivalry. Guys, how big is this rivalry right now, Washington-Oregon, you know, as you look at uh, this game coming up Saturday at Autzen Stadium, does it have the luster? And what do you guys think the Pac-12 could do? Because when UCLA and USC leave, there's a potential that this rivalry is the biggest rivalry in the conference or maybe one they should showcase more. What could the Pac-12 do to make this a bigger game?
4: Yeah, I think just like how it is this week, 4 p.m. on Fox, I think that's the way to go. you got to highlight these type of games, um, You know, make sure both teams are rested up going into this game. Uh, and you gotta you gotta cater to them, right? Uh, but uh, to go with this uh, with the rivalry, like he said, uh, Oregon's kind of owned this rivalry for about twenty years. So uh, I think it's been one sided for a long time. But you know, Washington seems like they're back at it uh, with Kalen DeBoer. I really like what he's been doing, but uh, seems like Oregon's been owning it pretty lately.
6: Yeah, it's a fascinating chapter this Saturday in this rivalry because it's not at its peak. It's not at its apex. The UW Oregon rivalry has been way more heated in in past years. But first year head coaches, transfer quarterbacks that are really good, and both teams in the college football playoff rankings, (laughs) that's pretty good stuff, all things considered, you know, for this showdown at Austin. It's a two touchdown spread, right? I mean, Vegas thinks that Oregon should win this game and win it comfortably. But I don't know. This is a really more, it's a more fascinating addition of the rivalry this weekend than it is like a compelling one, I think.
0: Yeah. I think it's going to be fun. I think Oregon, like Oregon, has so much to play for. And Washington coming into this game, I mean, I just think there's a whole bunch of intrigue. And I think if you are a Ducks fan, you really want to see the best version of Oregon show up. But this is what it's about. Like, I think if you're the conference, you gotta, you know, maybe add some luster to this game by by drumming up uh, some excitement. Why not have a trophy for the winner of the game? A lot to talk about. Hour three ahead. <laughs>
1: B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. We'll play the 5 at 5. We'll get a visit from Bruce Barnum, the
0: Portland State football coach. All of that ahead on today's show, plus your phone calls. I still want your reaction to Oregon being ranked number six. In the latest college football playoff poll, Reese Davis, one of the studio hosts, uh, made a wisecrack during the broadcast. Did that? Did that rankle anybody else? Did that rankle you guys when he said, "Oh yeah, but Oregon's doing it against the Pac-12"? Yeah,
4: it's kind of a low blow, I think, especially this year. Pac-12 has been playing pretty well this year. I mean, the rankings are in front of him. They have four teams in the top thirteen. It's just—it's such an easy joke and easy thing to say that people latch on onto. Well,
6: it's, and they haven't played, you know, the other teams outside of UCLA yet, right? So that's part yeah. of it.
0: Man, I think you know, his comment was like they're, they haven't—they're doing it against Pac-12 teams, and the guy, and then I think it was uh, Joey Galloway who said, you know, one in one in eight, Colorado doesn't do it for you. And He said no.
4: Well, Kirk took a shot at um, at the Portland State Vikings. Did you hear that?
0: Mm, did he really? Yeah. I missed that. What did he say?
11: I'll pull, I'll pull it up for you real pull quick. Pull
4: it up. I want to play it for
11: Bruce Barnum when he comes on the show. Yeah. Uh, all right, here we go. You can look at Oregon and and say, look at how big of a loss they had to Georgia. You also have to look at those circumstances with Dan Lanning taking over, new quarterback that came in from Auburn, first game that they play of the year, travel across the country and play in Atlanta, basically a home game for Georgia. The message to Rob Mullins is schedule Portland State. Like, why, why do you want to schedule Georgia and lose a game like that? If you schedule Portland State, they're undefeated and everybody's talking about how great Oregon is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Bruce Barnum's not gonna like that, guys. Yeah, took a
6: shot right at him. Jeez,
0: <laughs> shots fired. Uh, uh, Bruce Barnum will fire back. He's gonna join us uh, uh, coming up in about ten minutes Bruce will from be like, now.
6: Heck yeah! What is that? Six hundred grand? Yeah, what's the paycheck for <laughs> that? Yeah, we'll
0: uh, I think he wants a million to yeah. play that game now. Like now, you know, I don't think it'd do it for six hundred thousand. Build he'd a stadium with that.
6: With there
0: that you go. Money. How many of those you gotta play <laughs> yeah, exactly. to build a stadium? He'll play every year. Um, all right, let's do it. We got the five at five. The five at five. Well, let's start Georgia's number one in the latest college football playoff rankings. Georgia back to number one at 9-0. and Ohio State at two, Michigan at three, TCU at four. Oregon at six, USC at eight, UCLA at 12, Utah at 13, Washington at 25, Pac-12. Not doing too shabby in this poll, but what became evident to me is that there is a path here for the conference champion, a one-loss conference champion, whether it be USC or Oregon, has a path to the college football playoff. Now, if TCU should lose a game, it really does help simplify matters. TCU has games against Baylor and Texas and Iowa State remaining on the schedule. And the Texas and the Baylor games are road games for TCU. Keep an eye on that. So if TCU loses, it really helps the Pac-12. It makes it easier. Because Ohio State and Michigan play, one of those teams is going to have one loss. And it's not going to be a conference champion. So if you're now Oregon, it just simply becomes about getting over Tennessee. And or... Letting Georgia win the SEC championship and sliding into the four spot. I'd rather see Oregon at three, not have to play Georgia in the playoff. But Oregon's got a path. And if not Oregon, it's USC. Win out. Win in Vegas. Get a little help with TCU losing. Let the Big Ten eliminate one of the two teams. And you'd be okay as long as Georgia is the SEC champion. You'd probably be okay. You'd be either third or fourth. I actually think the Pac-12 champion in that scenario, guys, if Georgia's number one and wins the SEC title, I think the Pac-12 champion in that scenario could slide into the third spot. The problem you have is if TCU goes undefeated. If TCU goes undefeated, it then comes down to a question of whether the committee takes one loss Tennessee or one loss Oregon. They both have a common opponent in Georgia, and Tennessee played them a little tougher. Number two in our five at five. The Raiders have waived a first-round draft pick. Jonathan Abram, who was a starter at strong safety since he was drafted out of Mississippi State in 2019, has been waived. New regime taking over the Raiders. Dave Ziegler's the GM. Josh McDaniels is the coach. Abram lost his starting job in Week 8 this season. His special team snaps started to go up. He was rumored to be shopped at the trade deadline. Nobody wanted him. He was the number 27 pick in 2019. He was the third of the Raiders' three first-rounders that year. Entered the league as a fearsome hitter, but he often doled out some friendly fire hits to his teammates. Uh, NFL career began with a shoulder injury in the first half of his first game. And, uh, by the way, he was the guy from HBO's Hard Knocks who famously debated Derek Carr on the proper pronunciation of Salmon. Not Salmon, Salmon. During a team dinner He was a Gruden guy And drafted by Gruden But just never lived up to the expectations Whenever you see a NFL team Parting ways with a coveted first round pick That's painful Three in our five at five The NBA says Our bad They confirmed they missed a foul call on Clay Thompson The last two minute report Confirmed a missed foul on Clay Thompson As time expired And the Warriors went over the Kings on Monday night it uh, affected a shot that was a three-point attempt. Could have tied the game. Kings were down three when they took the shot. It was a 34-footer. Thompson, who appeared to hit uh, the shooter on the arm. The NBA says uh, it was a foul. And uh, they also confirmed that Steph Curry traveled with 16 seconds remaining in the game. It also went uncalled. Tough to be a Sacramento King, said Mike Brown, Kings coach. No kidding. Pass the beer nights. Jerry Jones speaking out. This is the fourth thing in our 5 at 5. He says Odell Beckham Jr. could look pretty good with the Cowboys. Free agent wide receiver. Uh, we don't know if he's interested in going to Dallas in that uh, that circus. But Jerry Jones speaking out as he does every week on his radio show or his radio appearance on a show. Jerry Jones talking at length about this. Said that uh, he's someone that we have all the appreciation of the world for. We know what a competitor he is. And we know that the Cowboys star on the helmet could look pretty good on him. In eight games against the Cowboys, Beckham has 40 catches for 558 yards and seven touchdowns. Uh, Coach Mike McCarthy was asked about Odell Beckham Jr. on on Monday, and he said, I've always been a huge fan. (laughs) I just love that free agency is now about more than just money and years on the contract. Finally, the fifth thing in our 5 at 5. We had Jack Coletto on the show. Oregon State linebacker, running back. He said the team playing on the way back from the Washington loss was pretty quiet, and that's not unusual. He also talked about getting back home. If you missed the interview, grab a podcast of it. But Coletto essentially said that Oregon State's got to right the ship. They know it. They're coming home against Cal. It'll be Parents Weekend in Corvallis. Beavers have winnable games against Cal and Arizona State. Possibly be at eight wins. They could be sitting at eight and three, heading to the regular season finale at home, November 26th against the Oregon Ducks. 26,000 seats available for that. Limited capacity. Tickets for that game, guys, lower-level tickets, not even between the 20-yard lines, are selling for more than $300 already on StubHub. Keep an eye on the value of those tickets as Oregon State and Oregon are uh, headed toward a collision in Corvallis. That is the 5 at 5. Jack Coletto talked about the home field.
8: I think Corvallis is just a tough place to play. I mean, visitors coming up, I don't know where they stay, but from my assumption, it's not super close to the stadium. and then just the atmosphere, Razor Stadium tends to get really loud, and I think that can surprise some people, especially with half the stadium down, and also just the you know the fact that it's like we're home, we're right where we are, and I think there's always a home field advance for some teams, but I think it's especially prominent at Oregon State.
0: Yeah, it's a kind of a weird little stadium setup. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's super loud in there. I kind of I kind of wonder if they're piping in sound. But it's really loud. It's that loud. Like, it makes you wonder, like, are they doing something here? Or is it just the concrete construction of the stadium? It's really loud. They're doing a good job. And the Beaver fans, to their credit, have shown up. They show up at home games. The students' tickets are selling out in, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes for some of the home games. Uh, Even the tickets for this weekend's game are uh, selling at, you know, this is Cal. And, uh, you know, I know that the tickets were... I think uh, like eighty-eight dollar ticket for uh, because it's Parents' Weekend they they raised the price a little bit. But I, I was looking on StubHub just to see what the games were. They're selling at double face value for Cal.
4: Yeah, so, it seems louder this year than it has in years past with yeah. less people. Yeah,
0: it's really it's really interesting, yeah. and I I want to say it's the construction of the all the concrete that's on the new West Side that they have poured now, and it's you know the stadium is fully enclosed. So it hasn't been that way historically. And and you have 26,000 people screaming uh, in one direction. And so it feels like the sound is just bouncing around the stadium in a way that it hasn't in the past. And the video board and the sound system they have in there is all new. So maybe it's just a louder sound system in general, but they're doing a good
11: job with that. All right, Bruce Barnum is coming up. We're going to play this clip for him and get his reaction you can look at oregon and and say look at how big of a loss they had to georgia you also have to look at those circumstances with dan lanning taking over new quarterback that came in from auburn first game that they play of the year travel across the country and play in atlanta basically a home game for georgia the message to rob mullins is schedule portland state like why why do you want to schedule georgia and lose a game like that if you schedule portland state they're undefeated and everybody's talking about how great oregon is there it is. He took a shot at Portland State,
0: Kirk Herb Street. Is he a friend of Bruce Barnum's? We'll find out coming up.
1: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: barnum portland state football coach they had uh, alpacas at hillsborough stadium on saturday i know because we had a photographer working the game who took photographs photographs came back great if you want to see the gallery you can go to john com. portland state won they beat northern colorado scored 35 unanswered points bruce barnum is here to talk about it you are on a roll
12: hey thanks for having us john uh oh, yeah. I have kids when we play when we play and we click uh, they're fun to watch man
0: what what you know you get off to kind of a slow start on Saturday huh. you, you're down 14 zip in the game you reel off 35 straight like do you see that coming is it was it just hey they got up 14 and uh, you know it, it's a matter of time we'll get it clicking what's going on with that
12: well uh, you look at Northern Colorado I, I I actually talked to the team about that on Sunday and Monday. And then the game the night before, John, they got up they got up on everybody except one team, um, 14-3, 14-0, 10-0. And I told them just weather the storm, you know, dig dig your heels in the sand. They've got two weeks to get ready for you. Uh, they got three McCaffreys over there, you know, the NFL down to the quarterback and OC. And Brother Christian probably helped them out. Uh, you know, plant scheming for you, but once things get settled, uh, get ready to roll them up. And it worked the, out.
0: The alpacas, is that a, uh, is that a good luck charm Will you bring them back against Sacramento State?
12: Well, I thought they were bringing in centaurs, John, but they, they, they look like centaurs. I just saw the shadow of them originally back in August. Hey, we're doing this. I said, you bringing centaurs in? You know, and then they said the llamas was out, 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 the packers, so no i don't think they're bringing them back you know they're busy they're booked it's hard to get those things
0: i know friday night you will play at home against uh sacramento state they are the number two team in the country they're good they're undefeated uh, they got pressed a little bit this last weekend i think with weber state what do you see on film when you look at sac state
12: uh tempo you know you know chip used to brought that stuff to Oregon, you know, when he was rolling there, and keep on our sideline, go fast, and let him line up, make him play generic. Can't get a call in. They are that times a thousand. Uh, they run two quarterbacks. They have a tailback who for FCS football, uh, our level is lights out. Uh, Scadabo, I think's his name. And uh, they're playing well, and their defense just plays with energy, you know, effort. They got a couple guys. Uh, one guy's out for the first half. He, he uh, got another uh, whatever it's called uh, targeting deal, so we won't have to deal with him uh, for at least a half. But they're playing with confidence, you know. And anytime you're doing anything in life with confidence, you're you're a step ahead.
0: You guys uh, go into that game. Uh, do you pull out all the stops? Do you throw the kitchen sink at them? Do you, you know, do you do you feel like you're in a game where you gotta, you know, you got an onside kick, you got a fake punt, or? Can you play Sac State and win that game? Can you just play a clean, good game and beat them? Are you good enough?
12: Well, uh, uh, when we are on, John, and playing hard, and uh, I, I have a good football team, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like the swimming hole, Gonzanos. You know, you you got to before you dive, you go in and you walk around. And you see where the rocks are. You see where the the, the stream, the cold water's coming in. If it's hot, you kind of get a feel for the pool, and then you go. And that tells you, you know, do I need gadgets? Do I need just to run the ball? Do I need to play, you know, uh, shoot out, you know, score, 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 score? It kind of gives you a feel for it. Anyway, that, that, that's kind of how I look at a game. Um, and we'll go from there. We have a plan for everything, you know. they got two or three plans we can throw at them. And we'll see what happens. Hopefully hopefully we can put one together. it would be, be cool. They're really good.
0: Did you hear you guys came up during the college football playoff ranking show that just aired where they announced the best teams in the country?
12: Well, they didn't, weren't talking about us, I'm guessing.
0: Well, they took a shot at you. I well, want they
12: did. Who's that?
0: Kirk Herbstreet.
12: Oh, uh, mighty Herb.
0: Yeah, he. Let me just play what he said, because I don't want to. I don't want to say that I was misquoted. So they're talking about whether Oregon should have played Georgia or not. Right. And Kirk Herb Street was trying to say Oregon should have. Maybe they should have scheduled easier. I don't know. Here's what he said.
11: You can look at Oregon and, and say, look at how big of a loss they had to Georgia. You also have to look at those circumstances with Dan Lanning taking over, new quarterback that came in from Auburn, first game that they play of the year, travel across the country and play in Atlanta, basically a home game for Georgia. It, the message to Rob Mullins is schedule Portland State. Like, why, why do you want to schedule Georgia and lose a game like that? If you schedule Portland State, they're undefeated, and everybody's talking about how great Oregon is. Are you gonna send him uh, flowers <laughs> or what? Are you, your reaction?
12: Wow, the herb is throwing throwing bullets. Huh? Well, you know what? What's yet? Ohio State. You know, um, uh, I tried to call them and schedule them, but they won't play us. I think that's where he went. Um, I didn't know about that. That's a. You
0: that's should say. Yeah, I'll give you your quote. You should say, "We're open for business."
12: Yeah. Yeah, will we'll,
0: play anybody, anytime, anywhere. Eight hundred
12: thousand. That's right. Oh no, more than one point eight. <laughs> is that would one point eight. They got more. Well, that's probably what Herb getting paid. You know, <laughs> to talk about the the mighty bikes. Um, <laughs> no, that's good. Any press is good press, right? Even if it's coming from Kirk. Yeah.
0: Well, there you go. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, you'll you'll do it for one point eight.
12: Of course. I'll play that and gets rid of one of my money games. That gives me another win, just like he's talking about scheduling, you know. Um, the problem is with scheduling, you do it seven, he probably doesn't know this, you do it seven years ahead of time, you know. Uh, those games aren't made the, the day you landing or got the job. Those games are made, you know, uh, many moons ago. So it's kind of what ships fall. you got to plan ahead, so... Um, that's that's unique. What show was that on? That was on, like, real t- That like was on uh, the
0: uh, the uh, college football playoff ranking show that airs on Tuesdays. I'm going to tweet this out. I'm going to say that you heard Herb Street say Oregon should have played Portland State instead of Georgia, and you'll do it for 1.8 mil.
12: Of course. Actually, yeah, put 1.8. I was going to give another number, but everybody you else... want to go higher? Uh, no, let's go 1.8. That'll, that'll clean some things up here. I can't, can't jump on the Powerball. Obviously, we found out that's a lark. You know, Are you kidding me. Oh, canceled. not going to pull the number tonight. Yeah. I wasted 20 bucks on that. I'll never spend another dime on the Powerball. <laughs> You're done? Done. Yeah. Done. Some guy in California wanted it. Yeah. Come on. Well, come uh, on.
0: so, you know, it's interesting because I almost feel like that, you know, your record as a head coach. Gets tainted by the payday games. They should give you two different records. They should say, "Here's Barnum's overall record. Here's his record when playing uh, non-payday games." Just so we have a better idea of where you are, because I almost feel like, look, you win, you win, you've won some of those games. You beat Washington State, okay? But by and large, you're going to go. If you play ten of them, you're going to go one and nine, or you know, two and eight in those right. games. You know, right. it's so. How do you, as a head coach, how do you wrap your mind around it like, and get your kids to understand that, hey, you might start the year one and two, you might start 0 oh and three, but it's okay?
12: Well, it's uh, I'm not going to lie to you. At this point, John, it does get frustrating to a point, you know, because, like I said, I think I have a good football team. You go into those games, we've talked about this, you get beat up. Uh, hopefully you have a, a, a year you don't, The Washington – Uh, This year, you know, kind of put us in the rehab at some key positions and a lot of starters, but and that affects, you know, just as much. But it's my goal. I wish I could do what my, uh, you know, counterparts do and have one maybe or none and play the people at my level. Um, But yeah, if you that is something. It would drive me crazy if it didn't look at look at it that way. But you know, the game doesn't define who I am. I know what I know what we have to do here at Portland State to keep this place other sports going. Yeah. Um, so that, it it is what it is. Explain it to my players though is the frustrating part. You know, because you never go into the game. We go into a game, they expect to win. You yeah. know, so. Uh, but it catches up to you, I think, as coaches sometimes. I, I kind of have to rally the, you know, circle the wagons. Um, but you want to sneak one. And then we did it at San Jose. So everybody's like, ah. Oh. Then when I thought I thought the best one we played was at Oregon State one year, you know, and my kicker, we missed three extra yep. points. I mean, yep. I just wanted to grab my big toe and stick it in <laughs> my ear. But, you know, um but if you get one of those, then you're all right because you know you're one and one and or two and all that one year. We won't beat North Texas, and uh, but uh, it's just it's where we're at right now at Portland State. I realize that is probably I think the brass does a little bit too. John, honestly, you know, because if you look at my record, I mean, you're running me out of here, you know, and giving me a job like curbsheet has. But if right now. Um, that's what it is. I'm going to help this department out and hopefully get one of those erased.
0: Bruce Barnum, uh, you've got Sac State on Friday. I encourage people to check it out. This is one of the best teams in the country. Portland State will be hosting at Hillsborough Stadium. Six o'clock Friday, have a different feel to it. You go on the road for your finale. We'll talk to you about that next week. But uh, good luck to you Friday night. Give them hell.
12: Thank you. Somebody send me your thing. Um, Are you having Coach Brooks on here? Or um, she already been on?
0: I I, interview Wilner and I interviewed him in a podcast. I'll text oh, it to you. Oh, I got you. He told stories.
12: Yeah, my pops work with his daughter at Schwabie. I don't know if
5: mm.
12: um, she was. She's in law. Uh, in some that was, that was. a few moons ago. But my dad's got a lot of respect for him.
5: Small
12: anyway. World. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having the bikes on, uh, John. And we'll talk to you next week.
0: All right, Bruce Barnum. There he goes. One point eight million. Can I play that clip again? I. I want to play it again. Here's what Herbstreet said. Guys, is he is Herbstreet saying that he believes himself Oregon should have scheduled Portland State, or is he just sort of summarizing the prevailing thought that, hey, you're penalizing Oregon for scheduling tough?
4: I think he's taking a shot at Portland State, personally.
11: All right, let's go. <laughs> Let's let, let's play it. You can look at Oregon and, and say, look at how big of a loss they had to Georgia. You also have to look at those circumstances with Dan Lanning taking over, new quarterback that came in from Auburn, first game that they play of the year, travel across the country and play in Atlanta, basically a home game for Georgia. It, the message to Rob Mullins is schedule Portland State. Like, why, why do you want to schedule Georgia and lose a game like that? If you schedule Portland State, they're undefeated, and everybody's talking about how great Oregon is. There it is. Is he taking a shot? What is he saying there, Judah?
6: No, he's just saying,
0: <laughs> get a win,
6: you know? <laughs> Take taking a shot. <laughs> a
0: is he saying Oregon should have played the Vikings, or is he – because he's mixed. He, he He's saying, hey, you know, you have to consider it was Dan Lanning's first game, and then he goes on to say the other thing. I think he is saying, like,
6: why did they shouldn't have played Georgia. I just think it's weird, though, because, like, that's such a – kind of a lazy take like barney said these schedules are made so far in advance that if this was year six of crystal ball with all the infrastructure built up you know and ready to go and this was the reigning national champion georgia like that game does make a lot of sense it doesn't make as much sense when it's your first year head coach with a little bit disjointed roster there's no way to see that coming so it's super weird to me it's just odd you know kirk Kirk is a smart guy. You know, it's like you can't reverse engineer schedules that are made six, seven years ago but it's with, a, with this
4: in mind. It's also a non-competitive take. Like yeah. he's saying, don't be competitive and don't play the best teams. And you get it. Like they should be rewarding teams that go out and play – really tough opponents. Like, Alabama went on the road and played Texas. Like, they should get rewarded for that.
6: Finally, by the way. They yeah. never do
4: that. And they did that, but they should get rewarded for it. Texas should get rewarded for playing Alabama in the non-conference. I think the same thing can be said for Oregon and Georgia to schedule this game you know, in the in the non-conference schedule because this isn't a game you have to play. Like they said, you can play a team on a lower level and get an automatic win, but you're putting yourself out there in week one when you're not necessarily ready and you're going for it. I, I, I just... I think it's a bad take. It's a bad look. But everyone's saying they're not going to give Oregon the benefit of the doubt because they went out other way to play a really tough team. And
6: by the way, with an expanded playoff, it still makes it might make even more sense to schedule these games with the big boys. Yeah, because it's a little bit more room for error, right?
0: Yeah, I think. But you could. Also, I think in the expanded you, playoff, you got to play it because it, it will help the at-large teams.
4: But you could say it the other way though, because look at UCLA. They played nobody in the non-conference, and they're still on the doorstep of making if the, if it was expanded of making that college football playoff.
6: It, and they it, almost lost to South Alabama. Yeah.
4: It, it's it's going to be a
0: problem here too because even though in the look in an expanded playoff, your conference champion in most years will make the expanded playoff with an automatic bid. I do think that you'll see these games. I think it's why the Pac-12 is probably going to schedule a crossover series with the ACC. I think the Pac-12 is going to go down to eight conference games. I think they're going to they're going to schedule a crossover series with the ACC. They're going to play payday games on ESPN, probably held at SoFi Stadium and other in Vegas, and they're going to let Oregon play Clemson and they're going to let Utah play Florida State and they're going to they're going to play these crossover games because I think the it will help the at large teams. I wonder to, to get who in.
6: Oregon's first ACC opponent would be, I wonder. Let's go
0: Miami. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go Oregon-Miami, SoFi Stadium, or in Vegas. Either one. I'm good with either one. Let's do it. All right. Uh, here's another question, and I'm just going to throw this out here. Like, there's a path for Oregon to the, to the playoff if they win out. You know, they win all three games remaining. They do it with some style. They win the Pac-12 title game in Vegas. You know, the committee may not forget the 46-point loss to Georgia, but I, but I think the committee wants to forgive it. And I think they will give the committee plenty of reasons to consider it a playoff team if they do that. But what about USC? The Trojans right now—they're at eight and one. Their only loss is at Rice-Eccles Stadium by a point. But what's USC's best win, guys, to this point? Who have, they haven't beaten a ranked team, and they have some some interesting wins too. Like they beat uh, they beat Cal by six, they beat Arizona by eight, they beat the Beavers by three. Like I there's work to do. USC still would play UCLA, they play Notre Dame and they presumably would get Oregon in Vegas for a, you know, so they maybe they build their resume then, but to this point, I don't think USC's resume is that
4: good. The best win's got to be in Corvallis. Yeah. That's got to be the best win.
6: But do you think that means they're overrated or are they just overranked? Like, John, it feels like you think UC USC is legit I and think like they, they would are. give Oregon, a really competitive game in Vegas, right? I mean, to me, it's, yeah, maybe their resume isn't all that much to write home about, but does that also mean they're not a top-10 team? I kind of think they're built on
0: speculation at this point at number 8, and I think the the committee is going, hey, we think they're pretty good, but we're going to know after they play UCLA and they play Notre Dame and then maybe they play Oregon or Utah in the conference title game because I think if, if UC, USC beats UCLA, they beat Notre Dame, they go to the Vegas, they beat Oregon, then you, then you hold them up and you go, okay, that's the fourth-best team in the country or third-best team in the country, depending on how things go. But right now, I would kind of bet against USC going undefeated the rest of the way. I didn't like them in the early part of the season. They've won me over to this point. But, you know, here comes Colorado, UCLA, Notre Dame to finish the season. I wouldn't be surprised if they if they lose at least one, and I wouldn't be shocked if they lose two, if Notre Dame gets them. But let's see. It's a home game against Notre Dame. We'll see what USC does. Leave it here. You got the BFT.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750, the game.
0: numbers, 503-417-7575. Lots to talk about. I wrote uh, I wrote a story today at johnconzano.com I want to talk just for a minute about. Um, I don't want to spoil it because it's kind of a wild yarn. And uh, not all stories have happy endings. Okay, I'm going to say that up front. But um, I wrote a story about a nurse who's dealing with cancer. She's got colon cancer. She's a mother of two. She's 33 years old. And she had a hard time. She's a Washington State fan. And she got tickets, guys, to a Washington State home football game from a donor who was just trying to lift her spirit, who knew that she was struggling. She's a season ticket holder at Washington State with her family, but he had club-level tickets. And it was for the Thursday night game they played against Utah a couple of Thursdays ago. And... He donated the tickets to her and wanted her to go to the game, and she went to the game. A wild, wild story comes out of it, because another ticket holder who's on the club level, who is an engineer for Boeing, 56-year-old engineer, happens to also be on the club level for that Thursday night game. He got a ticket from a friend. He's there. He's at the game. And uh, I'm not going to give the full story, but something terrible happened. The engineer for Boeing didn't feel well. Turns out he has a heart condition. He collapsed. He's unconscious. He's not breathing. And the uh, nurse who has colon cancer, she's an emergency room nurse, and her husband is a nurse uh, anesthesiologist. And so he happens to be on the scene and she happens to be on the scene just a few feet away from the Boeing engineer who collapses. You talk about coincidence, guardian angels. Uh, I think there's a lot of people involved with this story that told me at one point or another, we don't think any of this is accidental, things happen for a reason. But it got me thinking about football stadiums. If you want to read it, go to johnconzano.com. You can get the whole story. Got me thinking about football stadiums. I'm often in the press box or I'm walking through the crowd maybe at the end of the game or the beginning of the game, and i see people coming into the stadium. And it's interesting. It's kind of like an airport. You know, in an airport, you get people who come from all backgrounds, all ages, socioeconomic backgrounds, different jobs, different ideologies, religion, politics. You get people in a stadium, you know, of – 40 50 60 or 70 or 80,000 people and it's this melting pot of humanity in and you it's like you can have a nurse standing by a Boeing engineer and nobody knows that's not a nurse that's an engineer nobody knows what you know unless you have a conversation about it you just have all these people from such different backgrounds mixed together in sports weaves us together in that way it's part of why i love doing this show and people who listen to the show will tell me like you know you don't really do a sports show it's a sports show but you don't really do a sports show i get that all the time people say oh the show's different and part of why i think it's different is it becomes more of a lifestyle show but it also becomes kind of a you know we talk a lot about psychology and sociology and, and i'm fascinated by it i'm fascinated by that scene in the stadium When I see you guys at the stadium, yes, you out there. I don't care if you're a season ticket holder or if it's the first time you've ever been to a stadium. I see you, and you're walking shoulder to shoulder with people who are, you know, have either been there for 30 years or this is their first game. And you you kind of walk through that and you realize, like, how wonderful it is, you know, with people in stadiums and in arenas, how wonderful a place it is, a meeting place it is for all these people to come together and share. Uh, that experience, and sometimes magic happens. Sometimes you get Kenny Wheaton's going to score. Sometimes you get Edgar Martinez hitting a grand salami and Dave Niehaus on the call. Sometimes you get Damian Lillard hitting a 37-foot shot. And But in a lot of times in a lot of games that I've been to, you just get a good game or you get a fun experience. It's like a fingerprint or a snowflake. It's not like anything else that you've ever seen anywhere else. And I think in those moments, like, I look around and I'm like, man, this is what sports is supposed to do. Because i got to be honest, like, I've I've done a lot of thinking in the last six or seven months about, you know, USC and UCLA to the Big Ten, television deals, the money that's involved, the coaches, the NIL, the transfer portal, the booster collectives. There's been a real loss of innocence in our sports world. It's... uh, it's not the carefree place that it has traditionally been maybe i'm naive to what had gone on in the past maybe there were places where you know there were backroom deals cut and players were bought and of course there was cheating in sports the cream and the clear andro balco lance armstrong it's not about the bike it's about the uh, it's about the blood doping that was going on Uh, Of course, all that went on. Uh, You know, the Astros banging on the trash can. Of course, we've had those things. But by and large, most of the competitions that we have seen have been kind of that escape that we look to sports to be. So, yeah, a nurse, an engineer, uh, a good-hearted donor giving some tickets. Uh, I'm never surprised by what happens in a sports stadium, even if it has nothing to do with sports. Leave it here. Some parting thoughts coming up. Hi, this is John Canzano. I have a question for you. Are you a business owner? Do you like free government money? If so, listen up. The federal government has promised more than $135 billion in tax refunds for small and medium-sized businesses that kept employees on payroll through COVID. Business owners are eligible for the employee retention credit even if they received PPP funds. RefundsPro.com specializes in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program to make it quick and easy. RefundsPro does all the heavy lifting, and most of their refunds are more than $100,000. Couldn't you use that money right about now? There's no downside to apply and absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. RefundsPro.com has helped hundreds of businesses qualify. And the best part? You don't have to pay a penny back to the government. This is as close as it gets to free government money. There's a deadline, so visit refundspro.com to get started before it's too late. Once again, that's refundspro.com.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game.
0: Peter Sampson in the Pulse coming up right here on 7.50, the game top of the hour. Is Peter in position over there? He's not. He's prepping. He's prepping. Probably want to talk about the Blazers a little bit. Uh, I want to talk more about the playoff. Uh, coming up, Peter Sampson in the Pulse, top of the hour. Why don't you leave it uh, here for that? Um, guys, let me ask you this. We know if Oregon wins out, they would have wins over Utah. Washington, UCLA, and possibly USC in a conference title game. That would be a strong case for the playoff. We know if USC wins out, they would have wins over UCLA. They would have wins over Notre Dame. They would have uh, a win over Oregon or whoever gets to the uh, conference title game, probably Oregon. And, uh, you know, that would probably be enough, too. One loss Oregon, one loss USC. I would even argue that one loss USC would have a stronger case than Oregon um, because you don't have the Georgia loss in there. It's kind of the proof that everybody's talking about. Their only loss would be a one-point loss at Utah. Um, But what about UCLA? They played a soft non-conference schedule. I mentioned earlier that their best win might be the win at Oregon State. They haven't beat a ranked team yet. But here's what it would look like for them if they win out. They would have a win over USC. They would potentially have a second win over a ranked team in the conference championship game. Is it enough that their only loss would be at Oregon, the now number six team? Or, guys, do you think UCLA is in this conversation? I
4: don't. I don't think that they... And I even think if they were to win the Pac-12, and they have that one loss, I think that's where you have to hope Tennessee stumbles um, or even LSU. Let's say LSU won the SEC. I think that they get over UCLA. I think Tennessee with one loss gets in over UCLA just because of that non-conference schedule, and it's so much easier to pin that against UCLA when Oregon went out and played Georgia. So I don't think UCLA is even really in the college 12 playoff argument. They're going to have to have a lot of things, a lot of chaos to get in there.
0: But if they had wins over Utah, USC, and Oregon and they were a one-loss team, that wouldn't be as good as USC or Oregon's case. Like if they go one-loss, I kind of I'm struggling with that. Is it because their only loss would be at Oregon and Oregon's only loss would be at Georgia? It, you know, you still think a a two-loss team might slip in front of them.
4: Yeah, and I think Tennessee would be in there. As well, Because I don't think Tennessee loses the rest of the season. They'll have one loss, and that one loss will be to Georgia, and then they'll have wins over Alabama and LSU. So I think that the committee would take Tennessee over
6: UCLA. Or LSU. That's, see, that's a good point. I mean, the fact that USC is ranked this far ahead of UCLA is a little head-scratching, probably, yeah. considering the resumes to date. But you're right, John. I mean, if, if UCLA beats number eight... Beats number six, and those are the current eight and six, and maybe does so convincingly in either fashion. Uh, and I don't know who their you know last game is outside of that, but you know if they, if they did that and still had one loss, like that could that's probably the team we're talking about the least in the Pac-12 college mm-hmm, football yeah. playoff race. But I don't think they're out of it. I yeah. agree though with Steven. though, like the fact that they are. Uh, t- where are they? 12? Twelve. Twelve. Like that kind of to me, it's going to be hard for them to get past Tennessee with that one loss, and of course Tennessee won't even have won its own division. But that's just too much ground, I think, to make up for uh, for the committees for the committees' liking.
0: Yeah, they'd have to leap. Uh, they'd have to beat Oregon and USC.
6: By the way, can I ask you, given what you know of UCLA and Oregon, do you think if that's the Pac-12 championship game? chip against Dan Lanning version two. Does it go any different from version one?
0: I don't think so. I think Oregon I think Oregon's gonna beat anybody right now. I I just think Oregon's too good. They're just they're built too good. And it, barring an injury to Bo Nix, barring Bucky Irving is lost for the season, knock on wood. I think Oregon's too good. I think they're too balanced. I think you know, I think it's really interesting you know, I've I uh, I've done well against the spread, okay? You, you're I'm, really I'm se- good right now. I'm 17-3 in my last 20 against the spread. But I've done that by not picking the games too early. I, at this point of the week, I'm not making picks in the last three weeks. I don't want to make a pick today. But I'm really leaning towards picking Oregon big over Washington. Steven, Judah, what do you think in this Oregon-Washington game? The spread's like 13, 14 points. I don't think that's enough. I think Oregon might blast them at home
4: yeah I mean just based how based how Oregon has played this season at oddson it's it's hard to go against them and you know, I saw a tweet today um Oregon seven and two against the spread this season. The only losses was Washington State and Georgia. so they've been covering numbers uh the numbers haven't been high enough. I, I'm with you I think right now if I had to make a pick, I'd go oregon i didn't I haven't seen enough out of this Washington team that's going to say they're going to be able to stay with Oregon offensively.
6: That's It's funny because I, I want to take a Michael Penix in that passing game and say they can keep up. But I don't want to pick against Oregon at Autzen yeah. either. It's just different at Autzen. They're unstoppable right now. But the defense of Oregon does give me a little pause because they're good, not great.
0: Yeah. They like, give will, up that ever, will that
6: ever ex- get exposed against I, a really good team? And would Washington be the offense that exposes it?
0: I think UCLA Washington that Friday night game we watched earlier in the year was uh, is a little bit of a Rosetta Stone for this one. Um, granted, the game was at UCLA. The road teams on those night games, midweek night games, uh, you know, non-Saturday night games are at a big disadvantage. I think, but UCLA was clearly better than Washington for at least three quarters of that game. Like clearly better. I. I think UCLA is much better than Wash. I think there's a big gap between the top four and Washington and Oregon State. So I, I think I think Oregon's toughest game is coming uh, November 26th at Research Stadium. I yeah. think that that's the tricky one for Oregon, and that one and look, because I think the committee, like I said last segment, they wanna they wanna forgive that 46 point loss because I think the committee wants to say, hey. We don't want to deter teams from playing these games. We're going to reward the conference champion, put less weight on week one than we put on week eight, nine, ten. I think they want to do all that. But if Oregon doesn't look good in that game against Oregon State, it could hurt them. Because if, let's just say, you get LSU and Tennessee surging into the late part of the season and TCU remains undefeated, I just think the committee, they would want to see Oregon look really good in that November 26th game, right before the conference title game. And I I don't know if there's a way that Oregon's going to look great in that game just because of the way Oregon State plays. Like, Oregon State will ugly that game up, and they're going to make it a wrestling match, and it's a rivalry game. So I wouldn't be surprised if that is a very close game at Research Stadium uh, coming up. All right, uh, Peter Sampson and the Pulse is coming up. Uh, We've got another great show for you tomorrow. Jonathan Smith will be joining us, the Oregon State coach. Softy from KJR in Seattle later in the week. We got big, big shows. A lot going on. Uh, leave it here if you're listening in Portland. Peter Sampson and The Pulse coming up.